Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome back to another episode of Podstalgic. This is a movie podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And I am Peter. And I'm Mariano. And joining us for this episode, we have Justin from Epic Film Guys. What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? And also Gerald from Two Peas on a Pod. Peter, my density has brought me to you. And this is a look back at Back to the Future. So we're here. We're here to talk about Back to the Future turning 35 this year. I already introduced the gentleman that's going to be the gentleman uh, that's going to be on this uh, review. So, um, you know, for those that uh, maybe are a newer listener, I, I, I guess, uh, Justin, you joined me a couple years ago on The Wraith, the 1986 cult classic. That is correct. And we also did a really rad episode on... John McTiernan's Predator, which was we did yeah, one of That's my right. favorite guest spots ever in any podcasting thing I've ever done. Uh, but it wow, has been thank a, you. it's been a couple of years, so I just want to thank you. I, I know when you reached out to me, uh, it was a special moment for me because I was like, this is a movie that I knew that I wanted to talk about this year. I didn't know if we'd have time on my show to fit it in with all the other anniversaries and all the other trash we're talking about over there um so i just wanted to thank you uh, again for reaching out to me because i always love talking movies with you it's always a blast appreciate it you know another man stuck in the 80s i i love you guys um gerald i hopefully i don't you know you've only been on for stand by me or am i forgetting another episode too yeah well you've been on my show quite a few times but i think the only time i came over here was for stand by me the 1987 classic and I, I echo what Justin said. Thank you so much for having me because obviously I'm in love with Back to the Future, uh, particularly the original, which we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's actually my number three film of all time of, across any genre. Absolutely love this movie. Uh, you know, I was 10 years old when it came out. I saw it then and I've probably seen it a hundred times since then. And I had the VHS tape back then. And mm-hmm. I just, one of my all time favorites. So thank you so much for having me on to discuss it. Absolutely. This was a no-brainer. Honestly, there was a long list, and um, I, I know there's going to be some of our mutual friends that listen to this be like, well, why Why wasn't I reached out? Honestly, we had like five people <laughs> uh, originally uh, planned, and one had to drop out last second, literally last second. Um, but um, I, I reached out to a few uh, that couldn't make it. I didn't know how big I wanted this, but you know, I think four is a, a, a good number. Um, Mariano, before I talk about Back to the Future... You know, you're you're on this. You're you're the doc to my Marty. You know, the the build to my yep. Ted. Uh, yep. Where where are you with this movie? I, I know this is a movie you you like very much, but uh, oh, yeah. how, how much do you like it? Uh, this is a, I guess, um, very important movie growing up for me. So now I didn't see it in the theater, but as soon as the VHS came out, you know, which dates me. Um, it, I was like nonstop watching it. It's such a great film. And it's interesting because when um, I was just talking to my son, my son's 19 now. And when uh, when you and I did uh, Back to Future 3, 
he like caught me watching it and next thing you know he's like he's been like on a loop for the last like since then i don't know i guess it's been like a month and a half or whatever yeah um and i remember him when he was like i think maybe he was like eight or nine and he just could not stop watching the back to the future trilogy he just couldn't stop so um and, and and you know to be honest with you i haven't watched the first one in a long in a while so going back to it again i'm like holy crap i can't i the feeling almost came back do you know what nice. i mean like the the yeah. good feeling of watching such a like important film and and such like a just a it was just a fun freaking time you know and i was like i i was getting those same kind of like you know i remember the lines but then yeah. i'm like getting the feels you know what i mean like oh, you know, are tingling, yeah yeah exactly it was like and then you know the the, the lines and i was like that's right, you know, and how can I forget this, you know, because, you know, you get these things where after a while, you know, you know, if you don't see it all the time, and then um, I was watching it with my wife, Allegra, and she, she said it's, it's one of the, I think, one of the three uh, videotapes she had in the house when she grew up, because they didn't have cable, they didn't have nothing, you know, it was like, it was this, I know it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I can't remember what the third one was, but it was like, she basically can quote the whole thing, even though she hasn't seen it, I think, in like 10 years or whatever. Oh, you know? so, wow, that's so impressive. It was, it was pretty funny. I know, yeah. And she was, she was quoting it, like, we're watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah. She's quoting these lines, and I'm like, okay, you know. Anyway, so I just, you know, I, look, I, it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a wonderful film, and I, and, and, and I completely understand why it's so big, and especially when it came out, you know, remembering when it came out and how huge it was. You know, so I mean, you pretty much have to be what Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan not to get it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we'll get there. We will get there. I have a question. Um, clearly, I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, a lot of people till this day continue to tag me in anything Back to the Future related, and often, and I feel like an ass for for doing this too. I get tagged, and I'll be like, "That's cute. I've already seen that. Come on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I've seen all these things before." That you, you're talking about a guy who, when he first started podcasting, May second, twenty uh, twenty twenty fourteen. I had to think about that for a second. I named this podcast Hydrate Level 4, an obscure line from Part 2. Um, for those that are listening to this episode, you heard Marty McFly open up my episode or, you know, uh, open up the podcast. So I've interviewed Cassine Gaines, who wrote the book, you know, Where We're Going, We Don't Need Roads. I've interviewed Jason Aaron, who directed Back in Time, the documentary, or is it Out of Time? God, there's so many documentaries. I think it's I think it's back in time. He he uh, got to interview just about everybody in the movie, and you learn so much from watching that documentary. So, and I got that interview just because when I emailed, um, I don't know if it's his company. I forgot what I emailed. I found an email, I emailed, and it was like his, I don't know, PA or something. And she was like, "Yeah, he wants to talk to you." And when I t- spoke with him, he's like. I saw the name of your podcast and I had to talk to you. Hydrate Level 4. <laughs> you know, that's just so on the nose for, for the big fans. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more because uh, I'm kind of forgetting one thing that we do on the show to kind of take it back to 1985 real quick. This movie was released July 3rd. Now, this was the only movie that came out that day because this was like a, a 4th of July movie and it was in the middle of the week. The following weekend, we had The Emerald Forest and Red Sonia. <laughs> wow. Red Sonia, okay. Red I Sonia. Hear, I've heard. Yes. Um, Emerald Forest, never heard of it. I have. Okay. I have no idea what the hell it's about. Okay. I might have actually seen it, but I do remember the At title. least one of us has at least heard of it, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, it might involve a dinosaur. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you. I can't uh, remember. I cannot tell. I, again, box. I say this every episode. Box Office Mojo, their uh, thumbnails are really small, and it does not get any bigger. 
I cannot even make out who this guy is, but he he looks like he's in a forest and he's got a rifle on his back. And the the plot is after the son of engineer Bill Markham is abducted by an Aboriginal tribe on the edge of the rainforest, the engineer spends the next ten years searching for him. Hmm. Okay, I mean, no dinosaurs. Got no, it. no dinosaurs. It sounds interesting though. Oh, Powers Booth. All right, there you go. That's a that's a known name in that movie. Yeah, man. Who, say that name again. Powers Booth. Rest Eesh. in peace. Doesn't ring about to me. You don't know Powers Booth? What else was he okay, in? that's all right. You, you don't okay. Have to. <laughs> okay. Uh, he was in Swamp Thing, I think, the original Swamp Thing. Wes Craven Swamp Thing? Um, okay. And he was in, uh, there was a TV uh, adaptation of uh, Jamestown. Yeah, not to bring this uh, podcast down, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> and he was, he played, he played uh, Jim Jones. Got yeah. it. Got it. Oh, yeah, I remember. And he was that. also in like Agents of Shield, like in the, like, he was also in like the Marvel Universe. Mm. He was like one of the big wigs on there. Okay. I knew him from bit. I knew him from Oliver Stone's Nixon. I'm a big Oliver Stone fan, and he played mm. one of Nixon's like in his cabinet or whatever. Oh, interesting. I have to. Uh, I don't know if I saw that one. That's one that I've missed out because is that that was like a double tape one when that came out. Yeah, yeah. that was Anthony Hopkins portraying Richard Nixon. Uh, <laughs> mo- most Oliver crazy. Stone movies were double tapes, <laughs> actually. Now that I think about it. Um. All right, and the number one song that week was Phil Collins' Susudio. Classic. Which, yeah. luckily, yes. I got to see him perform that live two years ago, which I'm so thankful for. You, you know, Justin, so, I, sorry I, I would boast, be more surprised of who you have not seen or met. <laughs> but, 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 but with with Phil Collins, that was that was a chance. I, I, again, you never know with those kinds of things. But hearing that live, sorry, I have to boast. I'm going to boast a lot in this episode. Hey, do it, man. Do Slap it. me down. Yes, yes, you I know. know you've met Leah Thompson. <laughs> More than once, <laughs> hung out with her one time. Um, yes, I'll talk about that at some point. I, okay. I, I don't want to ruin so anything. You can talk about your best Leah Thompson whenever. I don't want to spoil. You're free, you got free she's, yeah. she's, Let's just make it clear. She's the biggest sweetheart in, in the world. So yeah. yeah. Pro, um, I don't know about you guys. My first crush. Definitely, definitely one of my first crushes. I think she's probably only second to Tiffany Amber and Kelly Kapowski and Saved, Saved by, by the, the Bell. Bell. Absolutely, yeah. she's definitely one too. Um, now, now we got that out of the way. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start first, um, since I just kind of ended that, you know, where I am with the fandom, uh, to kind of give you guys uh, some time to think. But do you guys have any uh, embarrassing stories about like how of a dork you might feel because of how big you thought Back to the Future was globally? So I've always known it, it was a movie that people loved, but when it was announced on their website that it was coming out to DVD. Huge deal. This this must have been like 2002, I think. You know, they were coming out with the... That doesn't even sound right. 2000, maybe it was 2000. I don't know. I remember on their website, they had a countdown. Hey, on this date, we're releasing the trilogy on DVD. I was like, well, shit, I need to wake my ass up early and get to Target when they open. Well, I did that. And there was no line. And there was nobody walking around Target but me. <laughs> and so I felt like a bit of an idiot. I thought that there was going to be like a long line of people waiting to get Back to the Future on DVD. Yeah, I don't remember that. But I mean, <laughs> you 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 knew what you were doing, man. I mean, you got to go, you got to go get it. I mean, this is yeah. a, a red hot item. You know, I do remember it being released. And I do remember, I don't know if I got it like I woke up early and went on the first day. I can't recall. Uh, 
But you were you knew what you were doing there, Pete. Yeah. I applaud you for that. Pete, apparently, you, it came out in 2002 when they first released it on widescreen. So I, I think the full screens were released shortly before that. Usually back then, they would release the full screens first and then release the widescreens later to get people to double dip or whatever. But So it was a lot earlier because DVD didn't come out until like 99 or something. It must have been the widescreen because I remember yeah. specifically where I was living. And at that time, I was just starting to date my now wife, you know, we're talking uh, 18 years ago. So that sounds right then. Um, and then like as a kid, I, I've, I've mentioned this story many a times on all different types of podcasts, but uh, I recorded the audio for Back to the Future on cassette and I would listen to it at night going to bed. Dude. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, man. That I had warms a talk my boy. heart. Did it on a talk boy. <laughs> that is awesome, bro. I'm that so glad so that awesome. I know somebody else that had a talk boy. Seriously. I was the only kid in school that had a talk boy. I thought I was the coolest person in the world. They all made fun of me for it. So no, They're just jealous. You know, clearly is what it is. I still wish I had it. Um, all right. So, you know, this this uh, review is going to be a little bit different just because, like, everybody has seen this movie. If anything, you guys are tuning in to see what we think. But, Mariano, you probably, I don't know. I, I don't want to say you've seen the, this the, the, the least, but um, I gave you. I'd say I, I think that's safe. Okay. To say. Well, I gave you a yeah. bit of a homework. Did you? Were, did you do that? Uh, no, because I am a big. Um, what's the opposite of fan? Casual that fan. Of, uh, that's what I think of homework. So, but okay. that doesn't mean I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, basically, what what I, I had uh, I mean, asked hey. him. Just come up with some questions, you know, like when you're watching it, be like, you know, I never thought about that. Write that down kind of thing. And we were going to maybe like kind of go round table and kind of answer it or give our perspective on what we think. Um, but yeah, we're just not necessarily going to go scene by scene, but we're just going to kind of kind of go through the movie and, and just talk about it. But um, let, let me start it off with this. Who do you guys think this this sto- this movie, this story is actually about the protagonist? Who's the protagonist in the story? Uh I mean, yeah, I George like or Marty? Question. How about that, George or Marty? <laughs> I feel like this is a trick question, but I I want to say Marty. I mean, that's what comes to mind right away. I feel like uh, he's at the center of of the whole narrative, so I would say Marty. Yeah, yeah. you're seeing everything through his eyes. You, you really are. I mean, even though George is a really important component to the movie, um, I'd say he's probably only second to Marty. Um, you're seeing everything through Marty's view. You as the viewer, you're you're seeing everything he's going through, his shock, his surprise, his embarrassment, you know, his excitement. It's all through Marty McFly's eyes. Yeah. I, I find it interesting as I got older, I'm going, you know what? Uh, and as I became a podcaster, listening to you guys included, but, you know, just listening to other shows and, and, and growing as a podcaster and learning what to look out for when I'm watching movies. George is the one with the arc. When we first meet him, he's meek. He's a pushover. Biff bullies him. And then we see that change, right, to, to, to be a better person. Marty's still the same person. He just got a cool truck at the end. And yeah. the girl. He, already, he has the same girl he had in the beginning, but now, now, he can take, now he can take her in the truck. I mean, that, true. That, that, is, that is very true when you think about it that way. George does have the strongest character arc overall i think but they all change in some way i think marty just 
like the smallest amount of change possible compared to the rest of the characters when you yeah. think about it. And I think to that point too, Pete, I mean, um, you know, George's arc uh, is heavily po- more positive is what you're saying. Like he ends up in a much better place than where he started. Yeah. But also I feel like a lot of that has to do with, with Marty going back. Do you know what I mean? Cause obviously he altered that kind of timeline and kind of, if he were not there, then we wouldn't have had the movie. Do you know what I mean? It would have been just what it was in 1985. So, right. It's just it's just kind of perspective is kind of how you look at it. I have never thought of it until you just said that, but it does make perfect sense. Yeah, um, uh, Marty is the catalyst to the whole to the story. You know, besides it being through his eyes, um, you know, I mean, he basically turned his dad, fr- uh, changed him from peeping tom to somebody with confidence <laughs> in the right, novelist. Right? right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was a freaking creeper, dude. You know, so um, it's really his story as far as like being able to not just keep his parents together, you know, to make sure that they did, you know, what they were supposed to in order for them not to, his family not to disappear from existence. And also you're right. Changing, changing, um, George into like somebody with, with some confidence and being able to stop being bullied by, by Biff so damn much. And he, I think, you know, just going out on a limb here, he changes all the characters. He changes Biff. He changes Lorraine. He changes yeah. his yeah. entire family. Like they Doc. all have a larger arc in that respect than he does because they all completely change. Whereas he's the same dude from the beginning of the movie that just went through all this crazy shit, you know? So he's still, he's just more experienced after going through this. And but, a truck owner. Now, yeah. if he could help, if he could help his uncle, <laughs> I Uncle mean, Jailbird Joey. Yeah. Come on, man. You know, I, I never understood like uh, him not making parole again. You know, um, as a kid, there were so many things I did not understand for the longest time. I, uh, like, make parole. You know, and there's things that I just, I, you know, because there was no closed caption back then. It, it might be one of the reasons why I watch everything with subtitles or closed caption now, just because I want to understand exactly what they're saying. Growing up, we didn't have that. Well, I use um, I use that joke to this day. As you know, Pete, I have a, like a one and a half year old mm-hmm. son, and then obviously my other son is six, so he was a baby at one point too. And we have the baby gates, so I use that to this day. Like if my kid's there, I'll be like, "So you're my uncle Jailbird Joey, huh? You better get you better get used to these bars, kid. <laughs> you know, he can't even speak English yet, so he doesn't know what I'm doing, and I just do it for my own enjoyment. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that that's funny. Um, my seven year old is a big fan. I, I once posted on Facebook that he just randomly quoted a line from part three just a real obscure line which uh i referenced in in our review of that so um yeah anybody that's tuning in for the first time um mariano and i we did review part three recently because that just turned 30 uh and then last year we reviewed part two when that turned 30 so um going out of order but hey that's time travel for you you know hey what are the rules exactly you know i mean right just don't mess up anything in the timeline. I mean, let, let's be honest. Well, we try not to change anything in our lives. We, so we that might we, have we to blame write, Marty for what's up. happened in 2020. Like he keeps going back and trying to fix things. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> right? Maybe it was his fault. Right? <laughs> it might be. Um, now, did he, <laughs> he got? Did, did he get another uh, sports sports almanac? Either, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anyone's really been winning in 2020. Everyone seems to be losing. Really? No, dude, they're not even getting in the game. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. how bad it is. Has anyone okay? Does anybody own the comics or know how Doc and Marty became friends? No, no, I don't. So it was finally answered in that very first issue of the IDW uh, comics. Um, I forget exactly how many issues. I have most of them, but in that first issue, we get a flashback 
um, where Marty and Needles, they knew each other from school. And um, I forget what piece of an amp broke. I, I think it was some sort of a light bulb or, or something for an amp. And um, I think Needles blamed Marty for for like breaking the piece. And so he goes to like a radio shack. And unfortunately, uh, they didn't have any because some mad scientist bought it all. And so he finds out who this person is and finds out this is Doc Brown. And basically, Needles was like, well, you better sneak in there and go steal one. And so that's 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 how they meet. Like, Doc catches him in the act of trying to steal. And I think he might have broken something. It's been a while since I read it. Uh, and I only read it the one time. But um, I think it was a thing where, like, Doc was trying to make him work back of what he broke or stole. You know, and uh, so th- I, I think that's actually a pretty good story. Having seen the beginning where he walks into... Uh, you know, Doc's garage, and you see the big ass speaker, which people are like, well, "What is that about?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This would be an interesting uh, prequel store. I mean, movie that they could do. I, I, I'm no, to be honest with you. No, to be honest with you, Gerald. I'm surprised. Well, to be honest, I'm just surprised it hasn't happened. I mean, please they do don't. It, for well, it won't happen as long as Robert Zemeckis is, and Bob Gale are alive. It will not happen. Uh, yeah. The time good. that I met Bob Gale, that was one of the first things I asked him, and he literally just looked me straight dead in the eyes, and he's like. As long as I'm alive, it's never happening. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So, that, I mean, that's an article. You can actually Google that article. They, um, Zemeckis said, over my dead body. Yeah. yeah. We, we have that to be excited <laughs> for because, listen, and I'll just make this clear. This is not the series to reboot, remake, prequel, nothing. Leave it alone. I'm, I'm open to prequels. Yeah. I'm open to reboots. I love remakes. I literally do. I'm a huge defender. Back to the Future is just not that thing to do it with. Seriously. And not only and not only that, and to Justin's point, and I agree, but to that point, what I was going to say earlier, we keep talking about the 35th anniversary, right? And how freaking old it makes me feel. <laughs> but what I will say about Back to the Future is that it it is timeless. Like, yeah. there's a lot of 80s films that you can put on and they feel 80s. Do you know what I mean? Like, they they feel outdated. I mean, they're still enjoyable, but they feel like a time capsule to that era. Whereas I feel like Back to the Future and a, and a couple others, but not many, you know, Ferris Bueller comes to mind where you can put it on and it's like it could have been made last year. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a very timeless, universal story, I feel like. So to Justin's point, no, don't remake it. I mean, it's perfect, you know? The only thing I could say is they don't make movies nearly as good as Back to the Future anymore. So right. no. yeah, just saying. They, they, they teach this in like writing 101. I mean, this is a very tight script. There's all sorts of callbacks. You know, just like um, where we see, you know, Marty go to uh, Hill Valley Square and we see the clock tower and we see all the Texaco and all this stuff, you know, all of these product placement, quote unquote, is is very visible. And then when you go back to the 1955, you see like the 1955 versions of all of those mm-hmm. products that we, we've seen. So, Gerald, you mm-hmm. say it's a timeless movie. It's because it's technically a period movie. It takes place in 1955. Right. Well, two two periods, two actually. Periods. Two, yeah. yeah. Especially for a young person. When I showed it to my daughter, she got to see two distinct periods that she didn't get to live through, that she didn't get to experience. And for me, at least, as a kid, that's why it resonated so much for me, because my two favorite eras are and have always been the 1950s and the 1980s. I got to live through most of one of those decades <laughs> at a very young age. But I mean, it is, it's a time capsule, but I know the themes are universal in that we want to become better people. We want our families to be successful. And I think that's part of the core of what makes the, the movie important is that in the beginning, 
It's not such a great life for the McFly family. By the end of it, sure, it's very much an 80s representation of what makes a happy family, which equals, in Crispin Glover's mouth, money, based on what he has to say about the movie as a whole. But but it still represents a change, and, and that's something that's very distinct for the movie. Mariano, did you know why Crispin Glover was replaced in part two? You told me this because we spoke about it about when we uh, covered part two, but for a reason I can't remember. Yeah. Basically, he thought that he should have been paid the same as Michael J. Fox because you mm. know he felt it was his movie. <laughs> That's part of it, Pete. That's part of it. Hey. That's part of it. But he's he's come out on numerous occasions and said that basically he he wanted more creative input. Um, mm. And he did get paid less than Leah Thompson. Apparently, that's the, he's he's come out and he's done like tons of interviews, uh, Opie and Anthony and a bunch of other people where he'll talk like at length about it. I used to think it was just the money, and he's come back out and said like, no, it's not that. Um, apparently, Bob Gale just like buried him, didn't want anything right. to do with him. That that's his version of the story. Bob Gale will tell you it was just the money aspect. But um, I wanted to I wanted to hear both sides of the story, and Crispin basically said he was gonna come back, but um. We could go deep into the problems he even had with the first movie as as a creative mind, and he was so young in his career that no one was ever going to let a young actor like have any creative say in this big movie, especially after it was a huge hit, like the sequel. No, we're just going to get somebody else to play you and sound like you. But he did make out really good with that lawsuit, though, didn't he? Yeah, 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 he did. And then, obviously, I mean, he's the reason why now you can't use a likeness of another actor. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um. He, I just found out today that he's like younger than Michael J. Fox, by like I think two or three years or something like that. I think he, I think he is, and they had, Leah they Thompson had, was too. Yeah, they were all younger than him, I think actually, right. except, and, except well, for I Thomas mean, Wilson. But he has such a youthful look, you know. I oh, mean, he does absolutely. He, like, yeah. And and uh, the one thing before I forget, because I want to uh, another thing I noticed about watching it over again is his just uh, emo- how he emotes. Like whatever scenes, I mean, he was like, "There's nobody like Michael J. Fox." So I was thinking about, well, how would this be like with um, Eric Stoltz? Eric Stoltz, right? Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I can't see it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I like Eric Stoltz. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm actually. I think he's a good actor, also. And then the same thing with you know watching. Um, uh, gosh, so I'm I'm forgetting everybody's names right now. Leah but Doc Brown, no, oh, Doc no, Brown. Christopher Lloyd, Christopher yeah. Lloyd, right? Like, there's a certain aspect of their like them doing scenes where it's it's larger than life right but Mm -hmm. but you have to be you have to put it in a way where it's not too comical you know where it's not you know i don't know if you guys understand what i'm saying but basically like they're they're emoting these scenes that are that are like wild but at the same time, keeping them grounded, you know, they hit so the right level. Yeah. They hit the yeah, right exactly. level of, you can of make crazy it like or buffoonery, right. You can make yeah. it like seem like it's way too much, but yeah. right. So, it, and just kind of watching it again, I'm like, damn, they got the, to talk about casting. They got the right freaking cast. Yeah, they this, just you know? got it, man. They just got it. I mean, the casting got it, but the, the actors got it too. I mean, mm. specifically Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. I mean, you know, they've done a lot of things in their career that I admire and that I love, but I mean, they are Doc Brown and Marty McFly. I mean, they just embodied those, those roles and nobody else. I, I kind of like what you guys are saying. I could not see anybody else doing that. You know, uh, it's just, they just nailed it in my opinion. That's a huge subject. I was going to ask, 
you guys all together because we're on the subject of Eric Stoltz. Have any of you guys watched any of the unreleased footage of Eric Stoltz as, as Marty McFly? I've seen pictures, but I've pictures, seen stills. Yeah. I have not oh, seen any, any of the footage. Okay. Release that version. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, because the person that I, I enjoy listening to the most talk about them shooting with Eric Stoltz is Thomas Wilson because he's a great comedian, first and foremost, and he was there the entire time. Um, and when you think about it, they shot almost the entire movie with Eric Stoltz. They shot for like, like five I think, weeks, I think right? five or six weeks with Eric Stoltz. So when they're all brought into a room, they didn't know why they were being brought into a room. They thought they were getting all getting fired, that the movie was being shut down. They got brought into a room and it was to be told – Guys, we're letting Eric go. We're bringing in Michael J. Fox. We have to reshoot everything we just did. Yeah, Literally. Crazy. But there crazy. are there are scenes actually they kept that Stoltz actually shot where there's like his hand is in the shot and stuff like that, which I didn't know until further inspection. But I wonder if that movie could have worked because apparently uh, based on what people have said, you know, Leah Thompson included, um, Stoltz's approach was a lot darker like yeah. not 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 very comedic. He was taking it very seriously. Do you think that same the same movie could have worked had Stoltz done the entire thing? I was just curious your guys' opinions on that. I I don't I don't think it would have worked because this is an adventure, and I think you got to have a lot of fun. It, there's a very there's a lot of like tense moments and stuff. But Eric Stoltz, you know, um, I think it was that very documentary uh, back in time where actually Leah talks about that. Maybe even Robert Zemeckis, but they said. Eric, you know, was like, it was at a table read. He was just like, this, this is sad. And Zemeckis was like, well, what, what's that, Eric? And he's like, well, M Marty, he's, he's stuck in time. He's not going to see his family. And they, they just said at that point, they realized that he didn't see it as a comedy, which, which it is. Um, but we, everybody kind of knows about Eric Stoltz. And, um, you know, you guys can fill in the blanks or correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the story goes the way I remember it. Is that they wanted Michael J. Fox, but he they was did. doing f they Family did. Ties. Yes. So then they got Eric Stoltz, and so um, originally when they wanted Michael J. Fox, J.J. Cohen, who plays Skinhead, was supposed to be Biff. You know, to um, in terms of height, him and Michael J. Fox not too far off. So when they got Eric Stoltz, they had to get somebody taller. So they got Thomas F. Wilson, and so that's so he became Biff. So when Eric Stoltz didn't work out, they went back to Michael J. Fox and just kept Thomas F. Wilson as Biff. And that's why he's so huge compared to Michael J. Fox. Which works so Thank well. Thank God. Yeah. Thank that God. Works great. And then, like, Christopher Lloyd is also very tall. Right. So I remember, like, a behind-the-scenes thing, Robert Zemeckis was talking about how they always played with uh, with the, the field of, like, perspective, where, you know, in scenes where they are together, usually one will run up to the camera and one will run to the foreground, and then vice versa, and those kind of switch off. Like, most notably... When Marty goes back to 1955 and, you know, he's in the living room, you know, there's a point where, like, uh, Christopher Lloyd, like, runs towards the camera and he's trying to think, like, time machine, time machine, you know, I don't don't recall ever building any time machine, you know, all of that. So, it's really interesting um, that, yeah, J.J. Cohen could have been Biff. And, and we get very little of him, too, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if that would have worked. I don't know. I, I can't, I can see this story getting dark because there are certain aspects that are pretty heavy, but... I don't want it to be dark. You know what I mean? Like just because how it worked with the comedic aspect of it and the kind of kitschiness of going back to 1955. Um, you know, I mean, let's not forget like Biff was about to rape um, Lorraine. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty freaking dark. You know what I mean? Would that like, had happened if Marty had not gone to 1955? Was that still have played out that event? Not, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, you're right. 
but I'm just saying with somebody like Eric Stoltz and they're trying to make it heavier or whatever, it wouldn't, I don't know that. Right. Not, I don't know if any of these beats would have been the same, obviously, you know, different actor, but as far as like making it like a heavy movie, it's not, it's not. Hey guys, I'm sorry to make it a heavy conversation, if you <laughs> will, but I, it had to be brought up because, you know, we are discussing this movie on a very special anniversary. And I mean, they, they shot, like I said, most of this movie with this actor. And it's, it's a question. A lot of fans have gone back to, there's this intrigue and this fascination with this version of the movie, not saying that yeah. fans are asking for it or they want it, but you see these high res photos of it and you see like little bits and clips of it. And you're like, oh man, I just, you know, you've seen the, the version that we all know and love so much, so many times, but you're just so curious what that is like and what that movie is. When you know that so much of it was finished, you know damn well that Universal has all that, all the negatives. They yeah. own all of it. So they t- could technically put it on, but not, not to tarnish Zemeckis and Gale's, you know, legacy with this movie or anyone involved, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox included. But it just, it's something that in my mind, I'm always thinking about like, man, they made that movie before this with that dude. And what, what is that really like? You know, get so. Snyder on it. Yeah, well, no, not, not even that. <laughs> Look, you, uh, you know, for those that are cinemaphiles and into comic book movies, c- cinephiles, my bad. Um, the Richard Donner cut, right? Superman 2. It's mm-hmm. possible. All of those were like stock footage and rehearsals and stuff. They made that into a movie. Give us that version with Eric Stoltz. I'll That's take right. it. They just cobbled that shit together and re-released it. So I didn't I didn't realize it had that much like in the can. I didn't realize they almost pretty much had the whole film or just about so you can make it. I, yeah, I, you know I, it's I, sitting I on a shelf yeah. somewhere. Yeah. I like it better than the Richard Lester cut for sure. It it is what it is. I mean, it's I like both versions of that, but I mean, we're I do too. I, Universal will l- l- let's make this clear. They're never going to release like here's the cut with Eric Stoltz, but if we could see some actual like on on the you know, on the special edition, give me like a couple of scenes like actual full scenes with him. I mean, we we have seen like little bits and clips of him talking as the character, but it going back to your original question, Pete, like you know, who's the most important antagonist uh to, to the or the protagonist of the film rather it, it's you have to think about what it would have been like with Eric Stoltz there because he's he, he went on to do plenty of other good movies but would it have still been a hit would it have still been successful um I, I just like to go down the rabbit hole with that one and I will now thankfully shut up about that I promise <laughs> okay hey no worries Let, let's talk about the uh, the biggest scene Gerald we'll, we'll start with you um one of the big scenes is the reveal of the DeLorean do you have any questions about this one? And before you answer, uh, Mariano, I, I, I don't know if I brought it up during our uh, episode or part three review, but something that a friend of mine that brought up that really ticked me off, he was mad the fact that Einstein, being the first time traveler, went one minute into the future and never returned. <laughs> I was like, dude, it's one fucking minute. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Did he want to have two Einsteins? Like the one from know. the minute before and the one from, or no, the one, yeah, and the one in real time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of those little things, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, it's I funny, mean, I was looking out for that, Peter, when you said, when you, because you did bring that up, and I was, mm, I was looking okay. for it, and I was like, okay, this is like, now we're, okay. I mean, as far as I know, time travel is not a thing, so, you know, that's, I think I'm okay with it, with Einstein. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the uh, well, to answer your specific question, the reveal of the DeLorean, you know, back then in 85, 86, when I saw this, I mean, I didn't know what a DeLorean was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, was a ten, I was a 10 or 11-year-old boy. So, to me, it was just a really, really cool car <laughs> that 
I had never seen before. You know, back in the mid 80s, I can't even think of what would have been the closest thing to this that I would have a knowledge of, maybe like a Firebird or a Pontiac Fiero or something along those lines. Uh, that would have been my car knowledge back then at age 10. So to see something like that, that was almost like a spaceship almost, um, was really cool. And that's one of the best, that's one of the most memorable scenes too. what, it, what that leads to there in the mall parking lot. Uh, it's just very exciting and it kind of starts the whole journey back in time, you know? Yeah. I, I've been to that parking lot. Um, my son, we, we went to Universal one year and, um, I asked the wife if I can take the oldest boy, uh, Phoenix, for those that have been listening to the show for a long time, um, to visit some of the locations. So I've been to the McFly house. I've been to Lone Pine Mall. And mm-hmm. also I, um, stood in the middle of the street where the car takes off at the end of the movie. But that mall, when I got there, it was, must have been like 7, 8 p.m. It was dark. And, um, I, I walked down where Marty rolls, rolls down the hill. And then I drove the car in what I felt was the line of travel for the chase, the car chase. <laughs> nice. It, it was like it was like a five minute video. Did you go ninety? Uh, no, 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 no. There's too many cars. <laughs> no, I, I decided no. to ask. I remember getting scolded on my California trip. I think it was three years ago at this point by you. You're like, bro, is this a horror trip? What are you doing? Why aren't you going to any Back to the Future locations? Because I was hitting up all these other Halloween and this and that when I was out yeah, there. Yeah. You're like, bro, what's wrong with you? Um, but that's that's amazing. I still hope so much to go out to those locations. I mean, you've met Leah Thompson twice. So mm-hmm. let, let me let me share this. I, I feel like I shared this on the last episode, or not last episode, but the part three episode. Um, this year, I was supposed to meet Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, and Thomas F. Wilson at the Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah. Um, I paid a pretty penny. I was going to take both boys up to Seattle, and we were only going to participate in the Back to the Future experience, which is separate from Emerald City Comic Con, if you just wanted to see the panel and get a picture with all four of them. And then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah, they were supposed to come here again. Well, they were. They, they had never been to D.C. I was going to do it again. Yeah, I actually drove. Yes, we got you. We got you. <laughs> I, I drove ten hours straight with no sleep to Boston when they announced that one because I was like, you never know. I mean, just as fans, we got to know this. This could never happen again, especially with with Michael's health, um, the way things were going at the time. But um, but yeah, man, I, I was so bummed when I saw you. You mentioned something on social media about not being able to go, and I was like, dude, that's. Oh, yeah. It sucks. Oh. Um, anybody have a, a problem with this time travel experiment being temporal experiment number one? <laughs> Did you guys catch that? Because you know how when uh, Doc is standing right there in the middle of the parking lot and he's got Marty next to him with the camcorder and the car is like, you know, spinning out and Marty's trying to back off. You know, right before that, he goes experimental, uh, no, temporal experiment number one. So, like, this is the first time you're trying this, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and Marty had the right to, like, kind of scoot away. And we worried Doc's about that <laughs> or or Einstein. Like, what's going to happen to Einstein and what's going to happen to me, like, with a car coming at me, you know, trying to hit 88? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you yeah. would have th- you would have thought there had been some tests ran before it actually sent somebody back thirty years, uh, you know, the first time. <laughs> yeah, but who's gonna help Doc though? Who's gonna help him? Like Marty's his right hand man, you know, this young wily kid. He was just filming it, you know. Honestly, like you know, he he simply could have just done. He could set up the camera on a tripod and and uh, tested it himself, and you know, and then you may lose a dog if it doesn't work out. But you know, he he is right though because if it works, you're gonna see some serious shit. 
But if it doesn't, you guys are both dead. <laughs> you don't have right, 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 right. Suicide. Yeah. So um, we arrive to 1955. Uh, Marty is obviously he, he doesn't believe. I, I know a lot of people have taken issue with like, oh, the CV bastards can do 90, and like when he shows up in 1955, he just can't believe it. I think when you're in that moment that he's in being shot at with a machine gun and possibly a, a missile launcher, you're not really thinking about that. You know what I mean? Like, I think he was still at that point in disbelief from seeing Einstein go into the future that one minute that he did. So yeah. when he's actually in the car and he's just trying to escape, you're not thinking of that. You're like, how, how many dimensions does a human brain have? Not very many. So you're, you're literally, your one train thought is I'm in this car. I'm getting shot at. I'm, the guy's about to blow me up. I'm just going as fast as I possibly can. Now, the line itself will lead you to believe that he is thinking about it. But why wouldn't he say 88 instead of 90? You know what I mean? That's So I don't really know if that was intentional in that way. I mean, it is to the audience to say, hey, man, we know if it goes past 90, he's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. But in Marty's mind, he's a young high school kid. He's I don't think he's thinking of that. This is probably the first time he's ever been shot at with machine guns or seen a fucking DeLorean in the first place, let alone a DeLorean shoot out with flames and go into the future and come back with a dog in it. I mean, I think Michael plays it down, actually, in the scene. I mean, a real kid would probably have passed out or fallen on the ground or something, but he's still recording the whole thing the whole time until the Libyans show up and start shooting. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. I think he was just trying to get away, basically, you know, because he was in that moment and he it was just what was happening in the present moment. And he knew if he got shot, he was dead. So he was trying to escape. I don't, I don't know. The line was written in there. The 90s specifically was written in there maybe for a reason, but maybe not for a reason, too, because, you know, I'm going to see if you guys can do 90. I mean, that's something you, you might say, you know, it seems like maybe 100 would be more. Kind of like a. I'm telling you right now, Gerald. First. I've driven a DeLorean. That fucking thing would never get to a hundred ever. It'll. it'll, it'll so it'll 90, 60, so right? ninety makes more sense. No, then. we got it to we got it to eighty five, and it started to shake like it was about to fucking blow up. It, it, it'll <laughs> never. It'll never get to a hundred. I'm telling you that right now. Um, so ninety it, makes sense then. It serves dual purpose. I mean, and and it makes sense for him to say, "Let's see if you can do ninety Because he's by the way, he's trying to outrace. Um, what is a VW bus basically? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So I mean, he's he does just need to basically. I mean, he could do eighty and be and probably. And it's be a great okay. action scene, right? It's a great action build up scene where the mm-hmm. audience is the music, Alan Silvestri's score, which I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. get to, just builds and it's it, it's it's just you know so exciting and then it's building and building and building and it's that classic '80s feel of a great action scene and then of course when he does hit the mark and he shoots into the past. It's such an exciting feeling for the the audience to see. Also, he he upgraded, well, upgraded or downgraded by he's getting shot by a missile, about to be shot by a missile and a machine gun, and then he just goes to a shotgun afterwards once he gets yeah. to fifty five. So I think that's a, I think that's a positive. This is a uh, this Pete. This is one of my favorite scenes that we're like leading into right now. It- <laughs> Just love when he crashes into the barn, <laughs> and, the, and the family thinks he's like an alien or whatever. It's like an airplane. Oh, that kid is great. That kid, uh, without that wings, kid, he mutated. <laughs> he mutated. 
Oh man, it's so good. And there's like little things and there's a couple of them that are, are spaced throughout the movie, but there's one in this scene in particular where like, I don't know if that was Michael J. Fox just kind of improving or if that was written in there, but I love when <laughs> Peabody shoots towards the barn and Marty just kind of like falls and trips over the door and falls into yeah. the thing. I just love so that. Good. So such a little thing that you might forget, you know. You guys ever notice that he enters that barn one way, but then when they find him, he's facing outwards, <laughs> conveniently oh, no, placed so that way he can just drive out. I didn't notice that. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, he crashes into it, and when he leaves, he goes out the opposite way. The yeah. car is the when they go into it, it it comes, it's already sitting the opposite way. That's a little goof, if you will. But I have to mention for for my horror fans out there that listen to the Epic Film Guys podcast, it's Grandpa from Silent Night, Deadly Night that walks into that barn with a fucking shotgun. Mm. Yeah. My hardcore horror fan friends will will know this because he's giving the same face that he gave the same year when he shot Silent Night, Deadly Night when he talks about Santa Claus punishing little children. So it's just a hilarious thing for me. And I'm not sure if you guys notice this or not, but tell me if I'm wrong. Is that or is that not the Walton house from the Waltons that they shot that on? It looks identical. How about the uh, the the other gentleman that might have a few years on me? <laughs> I never watched the Waltons. Yeah, I didn't either. I'm yeah. not sure. It I'm the be. only one. My mom forced me year in and year out to watch that show. But it looks like the exact set that the Waltons was shot on, same barn and everything. So I always mm. assumed that it was. But I never have found any information on that if that was correct or not. No, that's that's old man Peabody. Anybody know his son's name? Hmm. Sherman. Mr. Peabody and Sherman. It was a nod oh to that. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty really? sure it's in the credits. Yeah, it's it's okay. a thing I've I've known for a while, but yeah. Listen Mr. to this super fan Sherman. paying attention to every little detail in the credits. I swear to god, I feel I feel so little right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you've met the Tulsa twice. <laughs> what does that matter? <laughs> Um, I, I do like him um, walking around Times Square again. You know, we kind of talked about it. I, I, I think this is, you know, Zemeckis' like best movie in terms of like framing everything because I, I don't know if anyone can remember how they felt when they are following um, Marty into that cafe, his interactions with Lou. And then when Biff comes in, it's like, hey, McFly, and Marty turns around and they're like, holy shit, George has been sitting there the entire time. Then you go mm-hmm. back and watch that and be like, yeah, he's yeah. in that frame. You That's know, he just never reveal. looks over. Yeah. That's a great reveal. Just the way, you're right, the way it was framed. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there slightly blurred. And I actually just noticed that when I rewatched the movie recently at the Benji's Vintage Drive-In Theater. Because you could see it so clearly. I was like front row for this. Mm-hmm. And, and and you notice him in the frame. when Watching it for the first time, maybe even, it may be your fifth time you wouldn't even notice it's him. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching it, now you're like i've seen this movie so many times you can see him there it's so smart mm-hmm. it's such a smart camera trick and y- you got to give so much respect and so much love to the amazing cinematographer the legend that is dean cundy this was his breakout movie because he had worked with john carpenter prior to this this was his first big mega hit um and he shoots this movie so beautifully and i think i i think we have to give him credit for that yeah it's i mean um you know, I, I pretend to be a super fan, but I don't know that name. Dean Cundy you know? shot Halloween, The Thing, oh, The okay. Fog. Well, he shot Back to the Future, all three of them, all three no of the kidding. trilogy. Okay. He shot Jurassic Park. I mean, he shot like some of the most iconic movies ever made. It definitely has a vision. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Marty apparently is uh, he 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 likes things without any sugar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talk about a call back to like eighties drinks. I mean, t- they still have yeah, tab. Right, right. They still have tab. They, I they don't do. Know. I don't, do they? Yes, I don't they, do. they do. Yo, you they can do. get a tab. You can get a tab. You can get a wow. tab. I, I added. But a... you got to order something first. I can't <laughs> put it on your tab until you order something. <laughs> yeah, right. But you can't get a Pepsi free. That's that's not yeah, right. a thing anymore. Yeah. It'd be cool if they you brought that back. Well, you got to pay for it. The hell yeah. with the I, I can't Pepsi. picture this movie being dark when you have those lines, right? I mean, because right. those are like they're like perfectly you sit placed, down, like all brooding, you know. like Clint Eastwood. You, you know, <laughs> um, Justin, you, you asked about if we seen any footage. Actually, now I do recall. I'm sure you do. The, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I I do remember the footage of the 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 side by side, or rather, you know, one up and one down um, of the scene where. Marty leans, you know, forward and looks right next at to George, George's yeah. face. Yeah. yeah, and then we see we see the Eric Stoltz one too, and completely different. Obviously, Michael J. Fox is more comical. Well, yeah, and I think I think Stoltz just came in super method. He took it, the material very seriously. I mm-hmm. think overly seriously. Um, and they just again, as you said perfectly earlier on, they wanted Michael from the beginning. They actually visited him on the set of Teen Wolf to give him the script. They handed it to him. His agent was like, yo, this looks good. You should do this. And with family ties and everything, it couldn't work out for him to be in this movie. Family Ties, which was one of the biggest shows on TV at the time, had to actually change their schedule to allow Michael to be able to do both. He did both Family Ties and Back to the Future at the same time in the week. He got no days off. He would finish shooting Family Ties, get a a driver to take him over to Back to the Future, and then shoot, and then sleep like two hours, then go back to Family Ties. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing to think. Alex P. Keaton is not an underachiever. If we can all agree to that, right? That's one hundred percent correct. That's so, right. So I can see him doing that. I He's can't believe that. True. Two hours of sleep. True. That's like Peter's work week, basically. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, uh, between much. between the work, visiting the family, and then podcasting in between. Uh, I mean, I sleep about five hours a night. Yeah, it's still a little more than uh, than uh, Michael J. Fox did. <laughs> That's true. But was he delivering mail? Well, they, no, they, they picked him up in a car. <laughs> the stories, I'm sure you know, Pete. They picked him up in a car that had. It was almost like a hearse where there was a bed in the back of the car. Right. Oh, they wow. Flew, they threw him in the back of the car, and he would sleep in the car on the way there and sleep in the set until they had to wake him up just to shoot Back to the Future. That's that Again, when, it go, when you go back to the dedication that he put into this role, he really wanted to make this movie. I mean, obviously, he had just done Teen Wolf prior to that and wasn't too happy about it. It's okay, Michael. We all love you for that. I yeah. love that fucking movie more than anything. But I mean, he it's really was—he tri- <laughs> he was trying to do something really special, and 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 they did. And I'm so thankful for it. So that that really says a lot about him as an actor, because I mean, I remember Family Ties, and you know, like granted, I'm gonna have to see like the see that season, particular season. But as far as like Back to the Future is concerned, like you know, we were just mentioned earlier, how how good of an actor he is, and how well he portrayed Mar- um, you know Marty McFly, like how how he really just became that character and and portrayed him so well and it worked and it worked so well with all the other actors so uh, that's that's amazing that he didn't really have any real time off you know like in order to do in order to make that happen so mm-hmm. uh, you know i've always been a, a a michael j fox fan like you know for a, for a long time i mean you know besides teen wolf you know doc hollywood's like one of my f- you know, I love that movie too. It's just like I don't know if anybody else has freaking seen it. I know Pete. No, he's I don't great in that have it. movie. He's great. <laughs> I love that fucking movie. And but I've seen him in like you know um, even his more serious roles and 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 American so it's, yeah and and I don't know. It's just 
even learning that it makes you know it, it makes sense the caliber of actor that he is you know like i i don't know i'm just a big fan yeah um all right so what do we think about the introduction of 1955 doc you know at the uh the, i guess it was filmed at the gamble house uh somewhere there in california I love it. I, I think, you know, we were talking about arcs earlier and I think it's cool because it kind of like backtracks on his arc a little bit and you kind of get to see him. I don't want to say necessarily at rock bottom, but I mean, creatively and just like experimentally, maybe at rock bottom, like he feels like he's just got so many balls in the air and he's trying to, he just wants to invent something. He just wants to create something, you know, <laughs> that works, and, <laughs> right? Something that works. <laughs> And, uh, but I mean, again, uh, what Mariano was saying is it's got that comedic thing built in there, right? With, uh, where he's trying to read the mind and he puts it on his, on his head and <laughs> the plunger thing on the forehead. I mean, it's just hilarious, you know, just the little things that are built in there for comedic value. But I love like Doc's kind of like redemption in this movie too, where, you know, when it's so elating to him and to us as a viewer, I, or at least me personally, when he finds out that I created something that works and it's like, you almost want to cry for him because you can see how happy he is that he knows like, okay, all this shit I've been putting up with is going to matter. Like I'm able to actually create something that works, you know? So I, I love that part of it. Yeah. He's, um, what you said, I mean, I can't really follow too much up with that. I I think the interaction between, um, doc, not believing that, that Marty's from the future you know, and and then of course the running joke of Reagan being president, and you're like, oh, the actor, and you know, and, and he goes off about you know who else is in the cabinet, which is pretty pretty funny stuff, um, and and the timing, just it, the the chemistry between these two, you know, um, again, I think the casting's really done well, like like mentioned earlier, but the the chemistry between um, these two actors is it's it's just jumps off the screen, you know, and and again, that's that's why it, hard for me to see anybody but but them in it, you know? Right. Um, I mean, again, a kind of testament to like Bob Gale for the writing and Zemeckis. Um, you know, we saw the plutonium earlier in the garage, you know, with the skateboard hitting the plutonium uh, uh, case, right? Mm-hmm. So we find out that Marty left without the plutonium because Doc says that, you know, while he was filming before the Libyans show up. And so I just love how they inter um, introduce the the clock tower and saving the clock tower and and handing Marty that uh, that flyer. M- most of us have been handed many of flyers, and what do we usually do with that? We toss it away. Well, what is going to make Marty keep this flyer? Let's have Jennifer write her grandmother's phone number on the back. I love you. Of course, he's going to keep that. And so that gets reintroduced in this scene. Yep, yep. Jess is holding that one. I I have one as well. I have one that's with uh, the number. Okay, show of hands. Who's called that number before? Am I the only one? No, I did. Well, as soon as I, I got that, because I, I got it, I got it in this book, which my microphone is. Too. My Michael microphone Clark. has been yeah. sitting on this book for for five years. Oh man, so it's such an it awesome book. It's got yeah. everything. It's got freaking the prom picture of uh, of George and Lorraine. It's got everything in there. It's, it's, yeah, a it's, it's amazing. Sure. It's amazing. Very aggressive as far as like trying to save the clock tower. I must say, whoever's fundraising, <laughs> save very the clock tower. It's one of the things that my my brother in law. I have to give him a shout out. He doesn't listen to podcasts. He's in his early forties. Um, he is stuck in the eighties. He won't listen to anything as far as music. He won't watch any movies if it happened after two thousand. Like that's legit who he is. But Back to the Future is his favorite movie. He saw it in the theater opening night. 
And when we used to meet each other at the bar, like when I was in my mid twenties, whatever, he'd always, I'd always hear when he'd walk in the door, save the clock tower. And he would yell it. And then I would know, all right, we're in for, it's a, it's a big alcohol night. We're going to get booze the fuck up. You know, when he would say that we would literally just sit at the bar and spout off back to the future lines the entire, the entire night. So big shout out to him. I wish he would listen to podcasts, but who got closer to Marty's face? Uh, the save the clock tower lady or uh, Mr. Strickland? Oh, Mr. Strickland, pretty, man. They, they were pretty close, right? Yeah. That was nose to nose. It's like a quarter of an inch. <laughs> not even like if they're, you know, James Tolkien's like right there on his face, man. They're like rubbing noses there. It's, it's like Eskimo kisses method. or something. Some of the makeup got onto uh, Michael J. Fox's nose, you know, <laughs> the old age makeup. The, the neck, when you see the neck yeah. now, man, Ooh. when you're watching the blue, it's like, oh, Especially on but, 4K. Yeah. 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 Well, the, well the, rest of, the rest of the makeup, I think, holds up very well but the, the neck there on him you know as far as how they shoot it and it's so brightly lit in that you know the the, the school hallway it's yeah. just so bright and we didn't mention it i just want to mention it real quick pete because i know we kind of got past this part of the movie but yeah. i i love the huey lewis cameo in this too oh sure mm. uh sure, sure, just sure. perfect man because they're obviously playing the huey lewis tune <laughs> and huey lewis again brings a great comedic moment when he just kind of looks around and he's like I'm afraid you guys are just too loud. You know, it is his yeah, song. Yeah. So if you know that's Huey Lewis, uh, it's just yeah, that was... priceless, you know? I love adding the bullhorn to this thing, by the way, too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Feedback, I mean, it was great. You're too loud. I know, that was great. I um I did see, I believe it's part of the behind the scenes, but uh, I think Huey Lewis actually had long hair, so they gave him like a hair tie to pull it back a little bit, make him look more like a teacher. He had like a mullet. I'm sure you guys aren't surprised, but... um. I saw Huey Lewis in the news live, and and they played Back in Time and the Power hell, of Love. Don't don't yeah, don't, don't don't beat me, seriously. Please don't kill me for that. But um, <laughs> it was before he went totally deaf. It was like eight years ago or whatever. But I, I don't think um, I knew that about him. I think they're working on a musical based on it's out. Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, oh, oh it's oh. out already. No, 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 no. I, I thought you were talking about Back to the Future. That's actually oh, that, in yeah, no, 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 that's no, happening they're, in England yeah. already. Yeah, but um, no, they're doing a musical based on like Huey Lewis in the news. Like discography, basically. The funny like thing music. about Huey Lewis and the News being involved with Back to the Future is the year before they had been asked to do Ghostbusters and they said, right. nope, we don't do movies. Then, right. then Ray Parker Jr. came in and basically ripped off a new drug and then, you know, yep. they yep. they won that shit. But then the, the next year, they're like, yeah, we might as well just do a movie now. And then they did <laughs> Back to the Future. Then he's in the movie. So it's it's really awesome. Huey Lewis and the News is like one of my favorite bands of all all time yeah great um they're so good it's that that to me is like the sound of the 80s the sound of summer the sound of happiness and fun and to have those songs in this movie just makes it even more special for me i think um i'll just keep bab- babbling yeah. on about huey lewis in the news so just shut <laughs> you know, me the, up this, sorry pete keep, sorry yeah, pete i just wanted to mention oh, that no yeah. problem um, <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad i knew that tidbit of trivia i knew <laughs> there that you, go. you know something <laughs> i knew about ray parker ripping him off and then like them going like screw it we're just gonna go ahead and do this and it turned out to be like freaking i mean back to the future they, being, they you both know, made lots and lots of money off that so oh yeah yeah i i do like the the the, the keyboard and the synth in, in that song every time i hear it the, the first image that pops into my head is marty about to grab onto that police car you know and drive yeah. out of the, the the hill valley square there Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Let's let's talk about the uh, Lorraine. You know, when we meet Lorraine, obviously George is a peeping tom. Everything <laughs> that um, you know, the story that Lorraine told early on, you know, that kind of foreshadows a lot of things. You know, Uncle Jobert Joey. We get to see see the baby one behind the bars. Uh, Gerald, you mentioned that that line earlier. <laughs> but um, 
the the line he's a peeping tom is that inflection that made me not understand exactly what he was saying i didn't know what a peeping tom was when i was a kid um which is a good thing but then yeah. i i thought i thought <laughs> good he was on you, young peter yeah. well it, it depends what you listen to right because we just recorded the 1994 for music in my brain young peter yeah. that age Oof. young peter yeah young peter was a had a lot of you had a lot of depth to you i had some stories um <laughs> but i misunderstood it and thought he's peeping how come ah okay yeah so that's what i thought <laughs> he said and the line always just sounded weird to me Got to have those captions, man. Too yeah. bad we didn't have them, all the VHS <laughs> right. tapes, you know. He's a peeping Tom. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know what that was the first time I watched the movie either as a young kid until much, much later. I mean, who wants to find out that their dad is like, I mean, a, let's a face perv. it. George McFly is kind of pervy. An extreme perv. Both parents. <laughs> I mean, they both, both are. Yes, you're right. Yeah, they're both because uh, Lorraine's pretty thirsty. She I mean, is. That's the case. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. She's 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 thirsty, but I don't think she. she I mean, I don't know. Just, you're a teenager. Your hormones, I guess. Oh no, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. But I mean, I'm like, I was wondering. I'm all like, I'm glad this is like. What's the rating? PG thirteen. It's only PG. PG, PG, PG right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Only PG. Right? okay. Yeah. So I mean, I'm glad it's PG because she was basically giving my handy at the dinner table. So I'm like, going, girl, get <laughs> oh, off no. his lap. Just <laughs> oh, saying. No. This yeah. is way before, you know, wedding crashers happen. And they, right. and they, and they, they literally ripped this shit off, okay? Let's, let's face it. They ripped Dude, off Dude, that scene in Wedding Crashers does kill me every time. Yeah. That's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Holy cow. What I was going to say when he uh, utters that line, you know, he's a peeping Tom. It's cool because he's like saying it to himself, kind of like in surprise, you know, like he didn't need to say that because obviously he wasn't talking to anyone. So it was really for our sake. But I didn't know what a peeping time was either. I mean, I, I remember hearing it and seeing it, but I don't. I, that was like a throwaway line to me back then because I didn't know, even know what he was saying. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing with Marty too. He throws a lot of shade around too, but it's you know to his surprise, he didn't know these things. Like you know, this is jumping way forward, but it's when him and George are in the backyard going over the plans. He's like, God, it's, it's even. Wait, was it that scene? It's a miracle you were. Even, I was even oh, born. No, yeah, wonder I was even <laughs> right. born. Actually, no, that I was, was outside born. the cafe. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, God damn it, George. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, he's, he's, he's seeing a lot. You know, he's seeing a whole different side of his parents, right? Right. And and that's part of part of it too. <laughs> yeah. Um. We I, I kind of missed this one part. I, I I'd be remiss to not mention uh, Mayor Goldie Wilson because we see the the, the iconic poster. I like in the Ready sound Player of one. that. Now see. Oh God, I I can do the voice. I, I don't know. Now if you listen, want to. guys, I'm not gonna do it because. No, I don't think so right now, considering the current state of The Simpsons and Family Guy. But I have that voice down because it was another... It's one of my favorite scenes. He's a great character. Ever. Like, oh, he, he's 100% a great character. And um, that scene in general is one of my favorites just because it's so funny. Just it, It's subtle comedy, but it's funny because you already know that right. he's going right. to become the mayor as the, as the audience member. So you're like, oh, this is kind of funny because... When you look at it in the context of the time, of course. A colored mayor, that'll be yes, the day. They're going to say, a colored mayor, that'll be the day. You'll see, Mr. Crothers, one day I will be mayor and I'll be the most powerful man in Hell Valley. I mean, obviously now you couldn't do that, but I mean, whatever. I mean, that was 1955. Um, I don't even know if you would see an African-American male sweeping the floor in 1955 in a, in a, a you know a diner like that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. I would, fantasy. Yeah, I'd call BS on that, man. Um I'm surprised even the uh, the lady behind the register, you know, was all smiles and stuff like that. Because I was like, I don't know if she'd be smiling if this was real. 
<laughs> I mean, this was their way of doing it. And Hollywood did it in the 80s. They did it in the, probably like to the mid to late 70s where they would start show, you know, putting minority characters into movies. And they knew they had to have African-American characters. Obviously, later in the movie, we have some of the most important characters in the entire story of this movie that are African-American. Um, we don't have anything to say about that right now. But I mean, with, with the Goldie Wilson that, that's just one of those comedic scenes ever. I just love the relationship that George has with Goldie, knowing that he goes in there on a constant basis right. where, you know, he know, you know, he goes in there every Saturday morning to have his breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of relationship. Yeah. And, they and, have. And, and he's always telling um, George, like, why don't you stand up for yourself? You know, stop letting Biff bully you and all this. So we can see that, you know, he's got some good traits on uh, in himself. Um you know, definitely a self-made man where Marty kind of gives him an idea, I guess, to to become the mayor, which Marty seems to do for a lot of blacks. <laughs> I want to do the voice so bad. I'm holding back so hard right now. I'm literally like, I, I'm, 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 oh, sorry, okay. guys. We should probably uh, move on to Thirsty Lorraine. So, L- Lorraine, you know. Thirsty Lorraine. Yeah, another great subject, so, so right? So, we meet Calvin Klein, right? So, here, here's Calvin another Klein, yeah. uh, embarrassing thing that, eh, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but I once I got the DVDs, I actually watched it in Italian because, I don't know if you guys know, but in certain languages, Kevin Klein isn't as popular, right? So in France, he's Pierre Cardin. You know, uh, I forgot <laughs> oh, who he God. was in Italy, but, you know, in different countries, he's actually a different character, not Kevin Klein. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So I watched it just because to watch a different version of Back to the Future in a different language. Again, another one-up Pete has on me as a Back to the Future super fan. I bow down to oh, you. Well, thanks. Again, you met Leo Thompson Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, this this is, you know, again, we were kind of meeting um, Lorraine. And, you know, there's a line that Marty tells Jennifer early on. Where, like, she's practically a nun. But here we are. We're, we're finding, you know, I mean, why is Marty's pants off? <laughs> no reason at all. Just because Lorraine wanted to undress him. Right. Right. Yeah. He hit his head. Let's take his pants off. <laughs> Yeah, why are his pants off? That's a good point, actually. I never thought you of know, that. You know, this yeah. is the thing that's bugged me for since I first watched this movie. I was like... <laughs> the color purple. I think it just... It does something to a woman, I guess. Yeah. But she didn't know his underwear was purple until she took off the pants. <laughs> Who knows? Well, you never know. You never know. When they brought him in the house, <laughs> maybe, she might maybe have she seen wanted the to, pants She wanted fall. to know his name because, you know, everybody writes their name in their underwear. Well, I his mean, looked printed on, you know. Yeah, right. Not I mean, printed, that's how... Yeah, stitched that's on. how... Sure. Yeah, he's made out of money, you know, obviously. Right, I mean, on he's got two but, TVs. but I love actually when you think about it though, <laughs> the opening of the movie, the opening dinner conversation, oh, when she talks about her first time, you know, kissing George McFly, and she's sitting there drinking her vodka, and she's got a Budweiser there in front of her. You can tell she's got an alcohol problem. She's she's reminiscing about the first time she had a romantic yeah, experience. Fish under the sea dance. And so so <laughs> yeah. Fish under, under the, the fish. sea. No, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. Um but but so you know, I mean, if you, if you watch the movie enough, they're they're setting you up as an audience member to, to to kind of take this in. So you already know at that age, maybe her hormones are just fucking raging and she's ready to go. You know, I mean, obviously this character, she's ready to jump on a, on a boy. I mean, girls are boy crazy at that age. I ain't gonna say much because I got one right in there yeah. right now. I got so an I mean, like I, I know exactly. Oh, so you're even further along than I am. I don't even want to. <laughs> but I'm saying at that age, it's like. You know, you know how I it is, know. man. It's yes. like it's it's it's, 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 it's nutty. Uh, Marty's so parents' it's... hormones were freaking raging. Period. 
like for both of them in different in di- manifesting in different ways. You, right? you know, Marty's no different. His parents were raging. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he was talking yeah. to Jennifer in the parking lot, he still turns his head at two women passing by. And how come nobody talks about like when he's you know on the uh, holding to the back of the truck, you know, riding through Hill Valley, waving at a bunch of women at at, at a freaking w- women aerobics. doing aerobics, they they all aerobics know who class. He is. Yeah. Oh, it's just Marty coming by again on a skateboard. <laughs> so no, you, you know damn well, yeah. <laughs> If you're if you're in high school, you'd be doing the same thing. It's a natural, normal thing. I mean, again, we're in 2020, so I have to be careful what I fucking say about what you would do as as a teenage boy or whatever. I might get I might get you know shot out into the street and beat beat up myself for saying so. But um, but that's that's a natural thing for a teenage boy to sure. do. Yes. Yeah, so the, this is there's a lot of teenage angst, and I know that that's why you know not to go too off subject here this is why disney didn't want to touch the movie you know other studios said it was too calm and too family friendly and then disney said wait he's his mom wants to have relations with him this is incest we can't do this that's why disney said no but the other companies were like oh we're doing all these like really super over-the-top raunchy teen you know animal house ripoff movies so this isn't that this isn't sexy enough for that so this movie's like right in the middle but when you watch it now i mean mariana you made the perfect point to this there's a lot of sexual tension in this movie i mean there's a huge buildup of sexual tension throughout the entire movie if if you honestly think about it and you know and uh, to your point too like they're teenagers so there is going to be sexual tension because that's again you're coming into your own whoever you are and trying to figure yourself out. And part of that is sexuality and, and sex and uh, sexual relations and any, any of those things, you know, that's, that's all part of it. And it's realistic. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like what you guys are saying. I mean, especially that age is what happens, but what's ironic is that in pop culture, we don't think of that in the, in terms of the 1950s, right? The 1950s are always a really pure, innocent time. And here we have this just kind of lustful Lorraine who wants to hit on her own kid, you know, so it's really kind of pushing it to the audience, something that we really never see set in the 1950s because it's always usually so innocent, you know, it's so it's so funny that uh, you say that because. For for whatever reason, there's I'm sure there's a whole ten year gap where no babies were born, right? <laughs> it's like we had like zero population for about ten to fifteen years, right? <laughs> like nobody thinks in those terms. Nobody was doing anything in the fifties. <laughs> nobody right? was having sex. Yeah. Hey, Peter, real quick. Yeah. In the dinner scene, do you recognize the younger brother, Lorraine's young, youngest brother? Yeah, he was or on uh, Wonder Years. Was wasn't well, he the kid? Well, wait, the younger younger? There's, there's, no, no. Well, she's got three brothers and one sister. Well, the one sister. with the cat, the one with the cap, the one with the uh, raccoon hat, the, uh, Ray, the, Davey, the, the coonskin cap, yeah, David Crockett hat, yeah, David Crockett, David Crockett. Rerun. This is <laughs> yeah. brand yeah. new. He he it was a. Uh, wasn't he the younger brother in uh, in a movie we just covered? Oh no no uh, no, no no no! That wasn't him and just one him. of the guys. God, it looks a lot like him. They do look alike. No, the, the one in just one of the guys. I I, I got to tell you right now. You totally d- ditched me out with not having me on that. <laughs> By the way, I love you to death, Pete. That's one of my favorite movies ever, and I, I was so happy when that new Blu-ray came out. I made my wife watch it with me three times in two days. Wow, legit! 
I was like, that's how important this movie is. So I didn't know <laughs> that, that you were a fan, number one. Number okay. two, no, okay. it was actually a crossover review that we did with uh, my Cobra Kai show. Because, you know, no, yeah, it's all okay. Billy it, Sapko, awesome. who yeah, um, yeah. Peter was on a Skype call with. Anyway, go yeah. on. That's what we're talking about I'm here. I'm just busting you. But, <laughs> right, right, right. But I was, shir- I was shirtless with my, with my jean vest on and everything. I even curled my hair up. <laughs> did you, you, know? you, my- you put a roll of socks in your pants, too? <laughs> I did, and I was laying in my bedroom after I put up a bunch of Playboy pictures all oh, over man. it, waiting for my wife. Oh, like man. after we watch this movie, yeah, we're gonna relive That's this. So it was no, a buddy. Okay, movie. for no. me, he looks a lot. He looks a lot like him. So he, that's, I can, that's I can see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. No, okay. he, he, I can see it for sure. Um, I do find it interesting. Well, and, and to throw it out there too, um, her sister. I, I don't know if she's given a name. Uh, I'm sure she is, but she played Sarah in Adventures in Babysitting. So there's a bit of a tie because Elizabeth Shue was in that one. Elizabeth Shue right, and everything, yeah. Three. Which, by the way, let me ask you guys this real quick. Elizabeth Shue or Claudia Wells as as Jennifer? Well, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Shue was knocked out during the, episode, during the second one, right? <laughs> That's true. She was in yep. an alley somewhere. That's right. So I don't know yep. if I got much of her, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in three, what did we get? The very end? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, okay. Again, at the very end, so, when yeah, she wakes so up. Got, yeah. so, <laughs> toss-up? I don't Claudia know. Claudia Wells, it, she, she, she's a beautiful woman. Um... Yes, Pete, I met her. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> nice. Um, when, when, when they did a, a, like a special event right down the street from me at a theater, uh, Christopher Lloyd came, Claudia Wells came, um, Michael J. was supposed to come. He didn't come. But she was so amazing to the fans and, and signed a bunch of pictures and talked about her time on the first movie. And as we all know as fans, you know, her, her mom was sick after the first movie and, and she right. had basically retired from Hollywood. So she was just like, I'm out. Like it wasn't a matter of like they didn't want to bring her back or anything. It was just she was doing other things at the time and was not working as an actress. So that's why they brought Elizabeth Shue in and great. I mean, honestly, as a kid, I probably didn't notice the difference at all until I was an adult. Yeah, a lot of adults still didn't know the difference. Teenager. Well, you guys were talking about the Hollywood crushes at the top of the episode, Pete. I mean, Elizabeth Shue Elizabeth was Shue. one of my oh, first. Sure. I mean, if not my first, Molly Ringwald comes to mind. But Elizabeth Shue was one of the very first yeah. where it started It started making things feel weird. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Shue and uh, Jennifer Connelly. You were uh, feeling like George. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Rocket Man, but Jennifer Connelly was... Yes. You're talking about the Rocketeer. Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. Jesus. Yes. Sorry. Rocketman is a whole top. different movie, by the Listen. way. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Which I really Rocket enjoyed, got... but, but that was a whole different whole Well, there's different that, thing. and there's also the other movie with what's Harlan his face? Williams. Uh, the, the can... Yeah, that's right. Harlan Williams, the, the Canadian comedian. He was the cop in Dumb and Dumber. That's right. Sucking back grandpa's old cop medicine? Um, Rocketeer is one of my favorite comic book movies ever made. But I gotta um, revisit that. I haven't seen it since it came out in the theater. So that's we a might long have to time do it ago. Here. Do you have Disney Plus? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I gotta watch it. Oh, there. It's on there. Oh, is that newer? I don't. There. I don't think I do that. It's been a while since I've been on Disney Plus. Uh, Rocket Rocketeer has been on Disney Plus since, since they, they started, right? Yeah, they should because it's one yeah, of their. Yeah, yeah, it's one of their products. But um, anyway, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, yeah but Elizabeth Shue. Yes. 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 Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I've never liked her as Jennifer Parker. Mariano, you you mentioned that she was barely in it in two yeah. and three, but yeah. I you know I say I, I've been saying it since the beginning I, uh, of podcasting. I'm not a big fan of recast, so I get mm-hmm. you know that Claudia Wells couldn't come back, so she's always going to be Jennifer Parker to me. That's the thing. That's the thing. I I agree with you 100. percent I I just love Elizabeth Shue so much that I okay. remember I remember I was excited when she got cast in it. I mean, obviously, you have a strong connection to Karate Kid, and that was really where I fell in love with her. Oh, so yeah, we all I, I did. Just, I just, yeah. I just love her, but you're right. I also feel that way, too. Where Do you, do you guys feel that way about Crispin Glover not being in a, being after one? 
It's yes. upsetting, actually. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll make this clear. I mean, Elizabeth Shue is she's a placeholder role. She's not an important role to the movie. I mean, the character is, but her performance and her inclusion in part two and part three, as you said, she's barely in it. Mm-hmm. So it's a placeholder role. Um, George McFly, they rewrote the whole story to not include him as much in part two um, based on the fact that Chris Glover wasn't going to be in it. And when I was younger, I kind of had a thing against Crispin about that. But the more and more I've heard him talk about it, um, and I met Bob Gale. He's a really great guy. I, I love hearing him talk about the franchise. It's basically his claim to fame. It's the only thing he ever did that was successful. Um, and he has his whole life's work, you know, basically to thank for Back to the Future, which is awesome. You came up with one of the most iconic things ever created in the history of film. Um, but I think... Crispin, Crispin got the shaft, I really do think. And I think that they probably would have had a much larger role uh, for the George McFly character had he returned. I would have loved to have seen him return. Yeah. I mean, the actor came in. They specifically shot scenes so you couldn't tell that it wasn't Crispin Glover. And then you had him, oh, I did it on the golf course. <laughs> right. You know, it happened on the golf course. So you had the guy doing the same voice and everything. And that's why it pissed him off. That's why he won the lawsuit, because you literally tried to look and sound exactly like him. Um, I think people were just being greedy. And, and Hollywood is greedy. Yeah. And it still is to this day where they're like, no, we're not going to pay you. You're going to get scale for this. This is what you're going to get because you're in the movie this amount of time. And so yeah, that's um, the, the, to what Justin's saying, to his point, that's why the first movie is always going to be just leaps and bounds above the others for me personally. And it, it's a, it could stand alone as an absolute masterpiece without the other two, in my opinion. Now, of course, I'm glad I got to see the story continued, but I, that's really my only regret from this franchise is that Crispin didn't return. I mean, that I re- yeah. that really does upset me as a fan. It, it kind of sucks because they allowed Elizabeth Shue to do what she wanted to do with Jennifer Parker. They could have easily let Jeffrey Weissman do the same thing, which shout out to him. I interviewed him as well on this podcast. So if anybody wants to hear him talk about his time on Back to the Future 2, um, it is available. So, yeah, it, it, he could have done his own thing, too. Um you know, whether or not they gave George more to do in part two. But um, I do find it interesting that Lorraine's family is kind of big. You know, George, we don't know too much about his family, but the Baines, you got three boys and and a daughter, and that almost makes no difference. Yeah, and we don't ever really hear much about it. The only thing we hear about is Uncle Jailbird Joey. I mean, (laughs) classic. I mean, there's so much more you could do with this. And I don't know. Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, because you may have been more into it than I was. But the cartoon series. I have a podcast on that. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I don't know if they fleshed any of that stuff out any further. I mean, I watched it as a kid, but obviously I'm not going to remember 25 years ago right now watching it. Um, No, um, but I mean, it it follows Jules and Vern and there's no George or Lorraine. You know, um, Marty's a bumbling idiot. And, uh, and then you have Clara and Doc, obviously. So, I mean, there's so much more they could have done with the characters. But, I mean, I think within the context of when the film was made, filmmakers thought smaller than they do now. Everything now is so expanded. We have to think about what could happen after this movie and then the movie mm-hmm. onto that. And then two more movies that connect to that movie that are like a separate thing. Back when this happened, everything was so consolidated and, 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 and small. And, and that's why I love... I mean, when you think of Back to the Future, it's such a big story, such a big theme. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but everything's so contained in this story. And I mean, we got to get to Biff, guys. We haven't even we haven't even talked about Biff, which is like <laughs> probably the, one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, on-screen bully of all time. Yeah, he was in my he was in my top five movie villains that I did last year with my former co-host. Uh, just. I mean, so unsavory, and you're right, bully is the exact word to describe him. He encompasses what we think of when we think of a high school bully. But why is he so funny? <laughs> like, it just cracks <laughs> me up, you know what I mean? Think, McFly, Which it shouldn't, think. but it does, you know? No, okay, so I actually had to ask somebody one time, so I'll ask you guys. Have, has anybody ever said that expression, make like a tree and leave, or get out of here, before Biff Tannen? I'm sure. I don't Wait, know. Make like I a say tree it and now leave? because of the actual, the actual term, not what he said. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a term. Okay. Make like a tree but, and leave is a term, right, but a he term. said it wrong. But yeah. he said it right. right, right. Yeah. I've never heard it I, until the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that was, I mean, that is actual term, like an old term. Well, it's but an old school he, him saying. Him saying, like, I mean, get out of here yeah. was like, that's what made him classic Biff. I think it's illustrating his, like, lack of IQ, you know, because he's not saying it correctly. No, I totally get the joke, but I'm just all like, I've never heard anyone else use that expression. Oh, no, yeah, I'd heard make like a tree and leave. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So leave because like the word leaves. Tree, right, like leaves leave. on a tree, right. Yeah, I guess there could be a better one, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, again, they're, they're going like back to 1950s culture. So, I mean, I, th- I think it, it takes place Who came there. Up with this it, phrase? It fits well. <laughs> Clearly it was yeah. a canon. <laughs> Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It, makes it, uh, as much sense as a um, screen door in a battleship, right? Or submarine. Expect like a tree and leave. <laughs> Sorry. Sound like a damn fool when you say that wrong. So, yeah, let's, let's right, talk about yeah. um, the, their encounter in the school cafeteria. I think this is where um, the height differential plays really well. You know, one of the scenes anyway, where yeah. Marty, Marty to Biff, you know, like, and you don't necessarily have to do too much of a camera. Well, I mean, she could change the angles to make him look even bigger. But, I mean, he's already kind of a big dude compared to, to Michael J. Fox. So, it's like... I don't know. It was just that just played so well. It's like, it's like you see that you see that scene, and then later on in the um, well, when the they grab the each other's collar too, about to like you know, right. to catch I, these well, hands before. <laughs> I was, shows I was up. thinking, I was thinking in terms of like when he when he's like basically trying to stop Biff, and then Biff turns around and gets up, and you're like, holy crap, he's like so much bigger. Right. You know, it's the same thing with uh, Biff's like goons. You know, like you know, basically throwing out a ra- racist term to like the band and then the rest yeah. of the band comes out of the car you know it's kind of the same thing like oh you you know it's the realization that you done fucked up you mm-hmm. know he yeah he, he, you know he knew he did he fucked up on that right there and it would have gotten pretty ugly if you know <laughs> if it wasn't stopped you know right what you have to realize too pete is that you know marty has this resentment and disdain for biff anyway because of the way he treats his dad in 1985 and so now, I don't know, I almost, I always thought of it as like, you know, Marty kind of acting out on some of that too, because, you know, he's a bully to his dad in high school, but we also know that he's a bully to him, you know, 30 years later. So Marty's kind of got this chip on his shoulder and this disdain for Biff anyway. So you you would kind of get a sense that he would want to kind of be like, look, dude, you're a prick, you know, and kind of stand up to him. So yeah. I, I always like that kind of way that it was intertwined like that. Yeah, we um, Justin, you, you mentioned it. Like we haven't barely talked about Biff. We completely missed, you know, the point. The point where we do t- um, see him in 1985, where he's like, uh, "Say hi, your mom for me." You know, so mom all for of that. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All of that. I, I did. I did car towed all the way over here, and all you have is a light beer. <laughs> yeah. But little did you know, it's if your you, car. 
if you look in the, if you look in the fridge, what always bothered me about that is he says that and he grabs a Miller Light. If the idiot looked a little bit deeper in the fridge, there's a bunch of Budweisers right at the bottom of the fridge. <laughs> so if he looked a little bit deeper instead of grabbing right in and grabbing that Miller Light, he would have had a regular beer. I spilled beer all over me when that car knocked into me. Who's gonna pay my cleaning bill? <laughs> <laughs> as bad as uh, Biff is in general, all you know, many different reasons, levels of bad. Going to somebody else's house and open that refrigerator just irritates the fuck out of me. Who the hell are you, Biff? It's a pet peeve. It's a pet peeve. I mean, it's, he's pretty shitty. Exactly. Yeah. I'm it's just like saying. Kramer coming into the apartment. <laughs> he, he's, he's grabbing. He's grabbing candy too. He's eating stuff. He's he's just walking all over like he owns the right. place. I mean, he's doing whatever he wants. But to to go to the 1955 scene in in the cafeteria. I don't think, again, we're going back to what could or couldn't work now. You couldn't do that scene now. It's one of the most uncomfortable scenes in the entire movie. You know you want it. You know you want it. He's groping mm-hmm. the hell out of Lorraine. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. You as the audience member, you want to see someone do something mm-hmm. about it. And I think that's why what leads to another scene later on in the movie, you know, when things finally build up and you get that opportunity and you see what's going to happen to Biff, you know, he finally gets his, it, it you know, it plays out perfectly. You finally get what you've been waiting for the entire movie because, dude, he's he's basically like trying to rape mm-hmm. her in this scene. Mm-hmm. You grab oh, yeah. her and rope her like well in the <laughs> like cafeteria. He's trying to like he's already in front of like everybody and his, and his friends. Yeah. There's so many his friends are watching. Yeah, there's so many and bystanders like there yeah. just like watching. Oh, and his it friends too, egging just, it on, right? Yeah, it's like you know that. But this is like I think the the build up like in and you're talking about like how tight this the script is and how tight the movie is itself and you know again and I haven't seen it for so many years I didn't realize how how tight it is because there's so many callbacks but also there's build up you know and and this is storytelling like a really great storytelling because you have right the build up that once you know small scenes here and there they do tie up to through the end you know so it, it's that's one aspect of it is Biff being basically in a, a sexual assaulter right and then right, yeah. and getting I mean, it in the end kind of yeah so that's i don't know i, I just thought i it's interesting because you know going back to seeing certain films you're gonna for me anyway like uh, peter and i've covered a bunch of older films or whatever so i get the whole like ah this thing wasn't really as good as the f- i remember it or sometimes i'm like surprised like going, oh this is actually pretty good compared to like but it's not really the same feeling this is one of the few ones that are almost better watching it again yeah, and that's know, what like, I was trying to say earlier, Mariano. I agree yeah. with you because, like, if you if you pick out like I don't know, I would say like ninety percent of movies that were filmed in the nineteen eighties and that take place in the nineteen eighties, which I know only about half of this one takes place in eighty five, but they just have like an eighties feel to them. Do you know what I mean? Like the way they're yep. shot and like the overacting and yep. like whatever. But this movie doesn't feel like it doesn't feel outdated from like a craft standpoint. Do you know right. what I mean? Oh, it still it still holds its holds it, and and then some really. I mean, I, I it's hard it's hard to find a movie that is like that. That for me anyway, like where I have like I'm getting nostalgic feelings, mm-hmm. but I'm also getting quality as far as filmmaking is concerned. You no, know, right. and the storytelling right. the storytelling is solid. The comedy is solid. You know, and you're right. Over, as far as like some some of the '80s films, you cringe to like ooh, some of the acting not necessarily the best you know or like you're right. overacting or whatever and and the dated as far as like even i mean even though we're getting an 80s like feel as far as like make um you know makeup and costuming right sure and then we yeah. get the 50s with makeup and costuming like all that seamless and the makeup i, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier like the makeup of, of marty's parents like to make them look older that, that's yeah. pretty damn good that holds really up is. really well yeah. it's great it still holds yeah. up. It really i think is. the old yeah. age makeup still holds up 100 i think a lot of again going back to what i said earlier on 
um, Dean Cundy's cinematography and the fact that all the 1955 stuff feels very accurate to the era, but it also almost feels like it's a wonderful life. It's almost very dreamlike yeah. in a way because you're you're seeing everything through Marty's eyes. Mm-hmm. Everything is so glossy and colorful yep. and so upbeat. And w- but again, Perfect. yeah, we're, we're looking at at it through our you know. The, the viewpoint of this is what the 50s were supposed to be, but then we're surprised when, oh, my God, they want to have sex and mm-hmm. this guy's a bad bully and these things are actually real. And it's like it's somewhat grounded for the time. Um, it, it definitely feels more fantasy like when you compare the way the movie looks and the way that it's shot in the 80s in 85 compared to 55. I think there's a very different viewpoint from those two different periods. Do you guys think of Biff as a, a likable villain, or is that just me? I think he, I think he's a likable villain because he's just a dumb doofus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, he doesn't would, know any better. I wouldn't say. Here's the thing. Like maybe, like when I look at Biff fleshed out, fleshed out for two two movies, right? Because he's not in the third. No. Because <laughs> then I see, no, like, right? Well, yeah, sure. I don't want to hang like, out with him extend, like I would, like a Johnny Lawrence. You know, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, like a villain. I want to hang out with, like, like Biff. I, I would, like him. Would not hang no. out with him. I I can't say I like Biff. As I don't think he's likable. I, I don't. I, I like him as a villain. I think that that's as different. far as how yeah. he's written, how he's performed. Yep. I love Thomas F. Wilson's performance as the character. I mean, again, he knows that it's his most iconic performance, and. He, he appreciates it. You know, that's pretty. This is where his career ended, unfortunately, mm. um, was after these movies. I mean, he did small roles, but he never was able to break this role, unfortunately. Which is crazy because uh, he's so good, man. Like, he. He's great. Yeah. Nailed it. I, that's just, that's always really surprised me. I've seen him in some smaller stuff after it, but it's always really surprised me. That he plays a all- cop a lot in a lot of other movies. Action Jackson. <laughs> yeah. He's a cop in that. But I mean, um, Bob Gale came out on record and claims. That from the beginning, he wrote and perfected Biff to be like our current, whatever you want to call him. He sure, sits sure. on a, a golden gotcha. throne yeah, we gotcha. in a white house. I'll never call him the name that he's supposed to be called, thank you very much, because I don't consider him that. But that's what that, he said that he modeled him after you that. You see that. And I, yes, in, in part, part two. two that's pretty much it. 100%. Yeah, hold yes, the merit to But it. in part one, we're, we're, we're talking mostly about the first right. movie. So these weren't written in conjunction. He didn't write all three of them at one time. They wrote one and they came back later and wrote two and three. So this was a singular vision for this movie. And I don't believe that, that he wrote a map for that. You know, I just don't think so. Um, as a, as a person, bad guy, (laughs) not, not the worst (laughs) villain, because as you said, perfectly Pete, he's stupid. He doesn't know any better. They play him as a doofus. He's, you know, a muscle head, but you still, he's got a charm to it. Right. That's right. the one thing about him that you like. You know, I think if you do like anything about him is that he says some funny stuff. And I mean, that's about it. I mean, I don't hate if I'm not like, oh, my God, you're such a horrible human being. I need to see you, you know. Hard and feathered on the street, I'm, but I'm on the hate did. Biff train here. You guys love yeah, him. Yeah, right. I'm a love fest with Biff. Okay, you guys want to go just... hang out? You know, you guys, but, you see, guys want to make like treason? Get out of there with him. I hear was I hear was only as good as his villain. And when a villain is so good, I love a good villain. So for me, I'm a villain guy. Yeah. So if you're a good villain, I'm gonna love you as a right. villain. That doesn't mean that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do all the things you're gonna do. But I mean. 
my my hero sucks if my villain sucks. So the fact that he's so good as the villain, that's why I think I love Beth Tannen. Yeah, I don't want him to come out on top. So I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. But when he's on screen, I, I mean, I just I, I like what he's doing. You know what I mean? He's making me laugh. And it's even in scenes when I shouldn't be, which is weird. You know what I mean? Like he's a, he's a pretty unsavory character, kind of like what Mariano is saying, like. I probably should not like him, you know what I mean? But I, I think Thomas Wilson just does such an amazing job and uh, just really just elevated that character like from a comedic, just enough comedy, do you know what I mean, where, where it kept me on the likable side. But I didn't want him to come out on top. And the one scene that was obviously just horrendous is the end scene where he basically is about to rape her, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get there. But just generally speaking, in the first movie I'm talking about, I really love when Biff's on screen. They're some of the most memorable scenes. I feel like I I would say that he he plays a like a like I would say playing the villain. Uh, Biff being the bully is like every bully after that has been like I guess um, modeled after exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, modeled sure. after. Yeah, because I, I, I don't see it's hard to see a, a a bully in particular as a villain played in any way that's not really tied to Biff. You know what I right. mean? That, that's right. kind of like I couldn't agree more with you. Everywhere. I couldn't um, agree more. And I will say that it was fun to watch the manure first time oh, around. Sure, that was yeah, yeah. Last. yeah. <laughs> definitely. Now, uh, on the topic of villains, let me let me ask you guys this because I don't I don't know if this gets um, brought up enough. But do you guys think that Marty is maybe too cool and doesn't know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? I think there's an homage to both, sir. There is, but do you think that he just didn't know that there are two different franchises? Do you think he just made that mistake? Or was he doing that on purpose because they're not around yet, and so George wouldn't know the difference anyway? What's what's your take on that? Mm. I'm taking the second thing. I think that he's putting them both together because George wouldn't know about them yet. Also, there's no indication from the beginning of the movie that Marty is like a big movie fan or big science fan. There's, you know, at that time it was again, watching ET before back to the future, tons of movies. And this was produced by Steven Spielberg. So it could have Mm -hmm. had the same thing. There'd be in the bedrooms, there'd be star Wars posters on the walls of every single kid because George Lucas was his best friend. In this movie, you don't see that kind of thing. So you, you, the movie could have opened, with Marty waking up in the morning and or, not, you know, when he before he goes to meet Doc, rather. Right. When he and gets you, the call. Yeah. When he gets the call, you could have seen Star Wars posters on the wall and then it could have led to that as an in joke later on. You don't see that. So he's in, he's an every guy, I guess. Yeah. Where he's not yeah. like a hardcore fan. He's more of like a rock and roll dude. He's more into music kind of thing. He's got sports. The, the cover of sports uh, uh, from Hugh Louie in the news yeah, on his wall. I saw that and I'm like, oh, he's in the music I know for that sure, cover. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, he simply could have just mixed them up, not realizing that it's two different just things. Just throw them. I mean, like, it's pop. Yeah. It's pop culture. I mean, it's like I mean, everything you know, he knew. There's right? certain yeah. things you know. You know what I mean? As far as like whether if you're not a fan of it, but you can just know about Star it. Star Trek you know? was more television, even though most of the the, the the first two movies had come out up until that point. I think the first two, maybe the third, had come out at that point. But they were was huge too, right? That's right. So Khan was 82, um, and then Spock was what 84. Was it? 
Okay, or 85. So, so, Maybe it was so, the so they were year, around the period where they were starting to find the, the, the films were starting to get big, but they weren't like gargantuan hits like no. Star Wars were. So I mean, Star Wars would have been bigger, yeah. Interesting point, Pete. You're you're, you're digging in deep here on that. I, I know that's why you guys are here. That. Yeah, but <laughs> well, um, I think that's cool too because I don't know uh, if this was the intent, but I mean, think of like those diehard Star Wars fans and the Trekkies when they heard that line <laughs> and when, <laughs> no, when they time. saw that. Yeah, you know time. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wonder if that was all. Was built in there to kind of fuck with those people, oh, you know. <laughs> I didn't even see. I didn't even see that angle. That's actually a good. I actually like that the best. That's my. That's my favorite reason for doing that. <laughs> As producer, it's entirely possible. Ray's like, let's just fuck with them. Let's just you know, <laughs> right, right. let's just have now, a lot of fun. Now, have you have you guys seen the extended version of this scene? Uh, yes. I don't recall. Okay, yes. so, so it's on the special features. Yeah. With Marty putting chloroform to George and knocks him out. Yeah. Oh wait. So that's I why did, the next. I did see uh, that. Yeah. I did yeah, see so that. Yeah. So the next morning when they meet up, you know, right right outside the cafe, he's like, "Oh, sorry, I overslept." And now now we know why. Like he's drugged. Extended right. scene. Yeah. yeah you got. <laughs> and, and also we get more of the Eddie Van Halen stuff, which for me right. as a Van Halen fan, like, yes, please, thank you. Like, I love that so much. It still plays now to me because when my kid watches that now. That music is just as foreign to her as it is. It probably was to George, those amazing guitar solos, because guess what? There's no more guitar solos in fucking music anymore at all. It's like non-existent anymore for popular music. So the fact that you hear that, it sounds like what could be like an alien type of, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, there's there's another moment, and I can see why they, uh, you know, made some cuts in that particular scene because I, I think the stuff that they took out it actually made it look like, you know, George was getting a little comfortable in the presence of this Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan because at one point Marty takes out the the hair dryer and George like leans over and tries to touch it and then like Marty smacks his hand away with the hairdresser or a yeah. hair dryer. <laughs> so you know it's just like so, so if you make that cut out, you you take the the chloroform, then yeah, George is still kind of fearing Darth Vader a little. It's always been that one scene where I'm been like, should he be more scared? Or is it that he's not scared enough because he is the hardcore science fiction guy that he is? Is he just amazed at this and so excited because this is a thing he's so passionate about that no one else cares about? You know, there's always that question as well. Yeah. So um, we've mentioned how, like, yeah, he wakes up late and uh, now he's got to go ask Lorraine out. Um, I made one of my first memes I've ever made online was I, I took the the still of, you know, George in the cafe and for Valentine's Day, you know, you are my density. <laughs> I mean, my destiny. What Watching the bloopers of that, it's crazy how there's like no music in the background. Everyone's just dancing. You know, they have to pretend that there's music playing. You see the yeah. blooper there where uh, George is like, Lou, milk, chocolate. And they, they must have done it like half a dozen times. How many times, times did they do that where the milk yet yeah, spills yeah, all over? Yeah, on spilling and misses his hand and all that. It was pretty good. Pretty good blooper. I, I love that. I, that scene still to this day is one of my favorite scenes in cinematic history. Like, it's just perfectly timed. And knowing that it's actual liquid in that and the way he grabs it and drinks it and walks <laughs> over. It's so exciting. You know you know how hard that it shit is to wipes do. Wipes his mouth so. with his sleeve. Yeah, with his sleeve. Yeah. Such a I'll say that has his notes on him. <laughs> that McFly had it in him the whole time. There's a little swag in that. Nobody, just, not just anybody, can do that, right? No. Like, and, and have some, and have Lou basically give him, you know, have it ready to go. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> oh, here comes George. Got to get that chocolate milk yeah, ready. Right. 
So what do you guys think Lorraine's like reaction was there? Because she says, oh, and like, you know, she thinks it's really sweet. Or do you think she kind of feels sorry for him? Or do you think she do you think she wants to? Is she intrigued by his? What do you think? I think she's thrown off because he he jacks up the line to begin with, and then and then like after a few beats, she's like, "Oh wait a minute, you're George McFly." And he's like, "Yes, yes, I'm George." <laughs> his eyes he's, are just he's, like, oh, he's you almost know about to I cry. Am. I've been, his eyes are tearing I've been bird up. Watching you, you this yeah. entire time. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I got you know the joke with bird. You know, bird being different meaning in in uk right it does so, now yeah that's I, know, true. I know it was bird watching technically i guess <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, i think she had a little something like she got a little like intrigue maybe you know but then biff walks in and ruins it all because yes, george can't freaking stand up for himself you know what i mean fly i thought i told you never to come in here hey how much you got how much you got on you I don't know how much you want, Biff. Like, yeah, stealing money in front of all these, right. you know, people. Also, also, Biff's materials kind of like he he never really changed his material throughout because in '85 he's doing the same kind of shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Still picking on George. Uh, so we we get this uh, incredible chase scene on, on a skateboard. Like one of my favorite moments is that one part where um, they are they uh, so so Marty's like facing the vehicle on the skateboard and like they're throwing bottles at him and all that stuff. And then he just climbs over the car, yep. onto the back, jumps and jumps over, back on yeah. the table. What a great scene. Great mm-hmm. sequence, anyway. This is, an iconic, that, this is an iconic scene. It's crazy that Billy Zane or somebody didn't think to grab him, though. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. The car, let me just grab him and just beat yeah. his ass real quick, you know? Yeah, how terrible uh, are they to like keep missing <laughs> with the bottles, too, though? He's they were, right they were all overwhelmed by how much, how like incredible that, that move was. <laughs> and yeah. Is he really doing this? Yeah. <laughs> is this we got to see how this turns out, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, so good. He's an absolute dream. Um, you feel bad for George because, like, like he like sneaks off at one moment. You know, just right behind the rain there. Yeah. No, do you guys he, think? Oh, yeah. Do you guys think he goes home and relieves himself? I just have to ask. I just always had this weird thing that George Wright really didn't really care. Like he was into his sci-fi and he was into what he was doing and like. It was almost like Marty was kind of like forcing, forcing him it. Well, to yeah, court her. Well, yeah, there is a sense you know? of that. Yeah, there's a sense of that where he's kind of like, I could just keep writing my science fiction. Right. I could keep writing my science fiction stories and never <laughs> get laid. I'll be happy. I swear. You know, like he'd be right. totally cool with that. You know. Oh yeah. No, Gerald. That's actually that's a very good question because I, I don't think he does care. Um, the, the only reason that they got together in the first place was because uh, Lorraine was all over him from getting hit by her by the car by her dad. Right. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, if, if he never got hit by the car, he would have just continued on writing his stories, which may or may not have gotten as big, which I'm assuming not. Yeah, you know, I see, because I, he didn't I have see, the confidence. I see George as like a go with the flow guy, kind of. Yeah. But but he only cares about what he cares about, which at this point in time in '55 was sci-fi and writing his stories and keeping to himself. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. He definitely was not in the market for a girlfriend. <laughs> I didn't get that sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not not at all. Um, one of the very few scenes that Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson actually share in the garage, um, I like that scene a lot because like uh, Christopher Lloyd has very little to do. He doesn't say anything in the entire scene, but you see him walking around the DeLorean, making all these goofy looks. Yeah, yeah his yeah. facial yeah, impressions. Right yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, the wide open eyes. It's my uncle, Doc. Uh, uh, Doc, Uncle Brown. 
Just a great moment. She followed him, clearly. Yeah. Stalked him, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, both his parents are a problem. Yeah, a Either lot of things ways. that just wouldn't yeah. fly right now. A lot of things that wouldn't <laughs> yeah, fly wouldn't, today. No. Yeah. Wouldn't McFly? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. that joke. There's the there hashtag that goes along with this episode. Hashtag wouldn't McFly. It would, there you go. It wouldn't McFly. I like it. We'll, we'll have to throw that in there. Somebody has to remind me, though. Oh, um, man. Yeah, so obviously Marty, you know, gets the gets the date because George hadn't asked her yet, uh, because hashtag Biff Tannen. Um, now, what do you guys think about Doc watching the um, the cassette tape? I, I'm kind of mixing up when that actually happens, but you know, Marty comes back from school one day and Doc's kind of reviewing the tape again. But do we just assume that, like, even though he didn't want to know his fate, um, he just at some point when he says, run for it, Marty, you know, he just stops and rewinds again. Isn't that when the tape cuts off, though, or no? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I think it, right. I think it cuts off there, like he drops the camera or whatever, so he doesn't know what happens until he, you know, sees the letter later in yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's Marty who wants to tell him what happens after, right, because he right. feels so bad, he cares so much about Doc that he, he's got this, like, this huge, heavy weight on his shoulders where he really just needs to tell him because otherwise, he doesn't want to go back to a future without Doc Brown. He wants to be able to go back and still have his friend to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Doc's made it very apparent that I don't want to know. We don't want to alter the future in that way. You already being here is possibly altering the future, and it's extremely dangerous. So we have that level of danger already apparent in the movie. So at that point, you're like, well, we don't really know until we know later on. Marty writes the letter. We'll get to that, I'm sure. But um, that scene for me, I mean, is very cathartic, I think. When you think about where that character is at that point in the film, most people are watching this movie through the eyes of Marty McFly. You're thinking of what George is thinking, what Lorraine is thinking, what Biff is thinking. Doc is almost a secondary character in a lot of ways from our viewpoint as a viewer, even though he's one of the most exciting and entertaining. But... He's got to be one of the most emotional characters because he's the guy that finds out he invents one of the most revolutionary technologies ever known to man. Mm -hmm. Something so insane that you could never imagine it could occur. And now he's got to figure out a way within 1955 technology to to make that happen again. Um, And that's why that character, I mean, again, he's one of the most important in cinematic history. But I think he gets the shaft within within the ranks of the all you know the characters. He's he's known more than the rest overall. But when you think about within the context of watching the movie and how important he is, he, he kind of takes a side stance to the rest of the characters. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. The movie exists because of him. I mean, because of his invention. So right. without without his invention of time travel, then this movie's we don't have it. You know what? What I want to say real quick, Pete, before you go into the next segment is that. What I love about the, you know, playing the video back that you were asking about mm-hmm. is I love how Doc Brown invented time travel, right? And we know that okay. and he knows that. Yeah. And he's, ki- and he's kind of marveling at this like VCR camcorder, <laughs> you know, and he is so like amazing to him. He's like, oh, it's like a virtual home. I don't remember what he says. And he's like, no wonder your president has to be an actor. He has to look good on we're TV. TV. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I love that too. Which is so good. That's such a good line. Yeah. It's, it's a great line. And then there's a deleted scene, um, you know, where we actually see like the contents of Doc's uh, suitcase. And at one point he pulls out a Playboy and says something to the effect of, oh, the future's looking very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. 
delete the city. Check that out. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, where do we want to go to? Do we go to the uh, backyard where Marty and George are uh, going over the plans? Where George is doing his laundry. Doing his laundry. I remember as a kid. So so my grandmother spoke very little English. And I remember watching this movie. I, I watched this so many times with like different family members. But the one memory I have with her is that this scene was going on. And then George is like, you, you mean you're going to go touch her on her? And is holding the bra. And she laughs. And in my native tongue, she goes, and he's even holding it. You know, like she's referring to the bra. And I'm thinking, yeah. you... You understood that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you get what's going on in the scene? So it was surprising to me because yeah, I never heard man. her speak English. And here here she is, like, understanding and chuckling along with the scene. Yeah. You really think I ought to swear? <laughs> See, and as a kid, I didn't, because, you know, it depends on the context, right? But as a kid, I didn't know he meant swearing as in, like, the vulgar bad word. God damn it, yes, George, swear. I thought he meant, like... Making a promise, like swear? Do you swear you know, that you you promise oh, you can go through with okay. this? Yeah. So that was my uh, misunderstanding there as a kid. You guys ever catch the uh, the continuity error with his um, Marty's shirt pocket, the flaps? No, you'll have, no. you'll have to go back Never. and watch it. There, there's I certain have to watch cuts it again. where one of his pocket uh, thing is like tucked in, and then like in the oh, next, then it's out, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. His his shirt pockets. Uh, that always stuck out to me too, it's just because it, it's to me it was pretty noticeable. But I'm always like looking for things in the, in the background, just as, is is what I do. Um, all right, so one of my favorite moments as well is like it could, because it, it kind of changes tone a little bit, where we get in the cafe where Marty writes this letter to Doc saying, "Don't open till 1985," which is kind of a weird thing if you think about it. Like, here, Doc, I'm gonna give you this, but please don't open it till 1985. Like, who's really mm-hmm. gonna wait 30 years to open up a letter because you'll probably lose it. But, um, you know, he, he's setting up the the weather experiment and another deleted scene where he actually bribes the police officer with, I think, a $50 bill. <laughs> I've never been able to tell, even even with like a high-res Blu-ray copy, how much it is. It's such no, a, but you know, the deleted scene, it, I feel like it, you see it, though. Like he's actually is it a thumbing $50 through bill? his wallet. I think so. That's because a lot of money we, for back in 55, damn. Mm-hmm, it, yeah. it is. I mean, it, it could have been a 20, but but I know how the scene plays out. It's like, yeah, I think I got it right here. Reaches for his wallet, and then it pretty much cuts. In the deleted scene, he's like, you know, he. I think he actually pulls something out to hand to the police officer. Makes sense. Yeah. Universal permit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Doc's may, Doc has some money, right? Yes, a yeah, family I mean, fortune. If, that he, if you look he's, at his, yeah, he's got a mansion, basically. Yeah, I mean, he right. Does. He's, he's going to collect that insurance money rich. a little bit here. Yeah, he's rich. He's not. He's not poor. So, do we think that was a accident or purpose? Do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The uh, that that house gets burnt down. We see that in the newspaper clipping in the beginning of the movie. Hmm. I think. I think it's. I think it's done on purpose. Yeah, insurance money, right, to build the time machine. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I never really thought about it. So right now, in, in fairness, but as I'm thinking about it, I would think maybe one of his experiments went wrong, and you know, so maybe maybe it was accident, but it was still his fault. He was know? already thought of as a kooky, crazy inventor in town. So if if he needs the extra money, insurance money does the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely right. Um, well, we get the enchantment under the sea dance, or as Doc likes to call it, the rhythmic. Um, C- ceremonial ritual. Sorry, I'm just humming. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm humming. I'm humming the night train the opening by saxophone. the uh, starlights. 
Starlighters. Uh, Starlighters. I, Starlighters. I always yeah. enjoy. Um, I, I always enjoy um, George dancing, dancing. Little, little, on his own. Yeah. Like for he whatever reason, moves. that always tickles me. Like every <laughs> single time, his little moves uh, just yeah. crack me the fuck little up every single say, time. Guys, it's one of the most important things to me because um, at, when I married my wife, she allowed me to for us to walk out like in our reception to Danny Elfman's Batman 89 theme. Okay. Our, our, our first, okay. our first dance was, um, Earth to Angel? Earth Angel from nice. the back to the future soundtrack. Oh, and then nice. we did, then we did our Johnny be good from the back to the future soundtrack. And we did like our whole thing just together, but, but it had to be from the movie, even though I like the original versions of those songs, but this dance in this movie for me as a kid was what I expected romance to look like in real life. And I wanted to reenact that it needed to be that for me because it's such a strong piece of what this movie is. There's, there's romance in this movie. It's funny. Um, there's drama, but there's romance. And I think this, the enchantment under this, I mean, I'm sorry, the fish under the sea dance. I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I, um. I, I, I still very much prefer what Doc says. You know, it's the rhythmic ceremony, ceremonial ritual. Rhythm, yeah. A rhythmic ceremonial ritual. Yes. God, but, I hope I didn't mess that up. No, you um, didn't. It's, it's a great line. But, you know, you, you, you mentioned some of the drama. I mean, you know, yeah, George goes out there. Another deleted scene, and it really breaks the rhythm uh, of, of the moment, too. Or rather stops the momentum of it. Um, you know, Marty is out there with Lorraine, but this is where uh, Biff comes in. There's a deleted scene where George is looking at his watch, you know, makes that silly reaction to his face, you know, like, oh, I can't believe what time it is. And then he goes into a phone booth to call the operator to check the time. And while he's in the phone booth, somebody comes in, and locks him in there. So that's why he's late to getting out there. Oh, okay. I, I never yeah. saw that. So you see yeah. that and you're like, okay, that needed to that, be out because yeah. it's like George was just doing way George too things. much. George should just, yeah, <laughs> George he, was, things. he was doing enough to be late anyway. Yeah, he know? seems like a character that would just be late. So yeah. <laughs> you don't well, really so, need so, an explanation. So is Marty. Right, Marty's exactly. always late too. He's always checking his watch. He was late for school. Yeah. The McFlies, they, um, they don't have a sense of time. Well, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually, out, Peter, I was actually going to say they really don't have, they don't have a sense of time you know that's for your back kind of you know i'm not that i'm supposed to say they, it seems to there's fly so many time puns. flies there's so many time. puns you can keep track of it you can apply to this movie oh man but um again uh the writing like i don't think many people think about this too the the starlighters is it starlighter it's starlighters yeah okay i almost want to say starlights but i feel that's a real band um but anyway they say, you know, they're going to take a quick break. Don't body, don't go nowhere. And so that puts them outside in the parking lot, too. You know, it's the cause and effect, right? They're, they're on a break, so they're conveniently outside smoking, you know, refueling for, for another set here. Um, so, yeah, you know, George, George Biff shows up. They take Marty and throw, throw him in the back of the trunk. Yeah. Why are the, the keys in the back? Anyway. How did the keys end up in the trunk? Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be one of those. They're gimmies. smoking reefer, man. They're a bunch of reefer addicts. I don't want to mess with Clearly. no reefer addicts. I mean, they're smoking. They're taking a break. Hey, man, with the kind of weed they were smoking back then, you never know. That could have been some fucking medical grade shit. And they just oh, whatever toss it in there in between the set. It could have just been set set in there while the thing was open, and they were gonna grab it out and pick it up. 
Um, because it is, it is a scene of action where he just kind of, it happens really quickly. Um, but of course it is a ploy just to make the rest of the movie move forward. So, I mean, the, it the is best it thing is. about that, like, I don't even think about like why the key is back there. It's the fact that Marty was able to see that it was back there. No, right. the keys are in here. <laughs> There's no light in a trunk back then either or anything. There's no way to know. He's got no phone with a flashlight, right? <laughs> so none of that. Uh, that. That's my favorite part of that, really. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, George lays out Biff with one punch. Such an iconic scene, guys. We we really have to like we really have to soak that scene in so much. I mean, for me, the whole movie builds to that scene. Yeah, like so perfectly on a constant basis. And that's the, the moment too when he connects on that punch. For me, that's the moment when George McFly kind of changes too. Like he kind of changes from the dweeb. Uh, and you can see that he has that confidence now. And that was all it took was getting rid of the bully that's been just weighing him down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you guys think um, after the punch, because that was, again, such a big moment, like, well, for George, definitely the biggest moment. When they're in the dance floor a few frames later with, uh, you know, other, the other student. <laughs> yeah, who just decide, you know, decides to cut in, you know, force his way to the dance. You know, basically, he's being all aggressive with... Lorraine, yeah, did, we, did we need so that scene? That, that scene shouldn't even happen, I don't think. I, yeah, in my I, opinion. I, watching it again, I'm like, you know, I don't know if we need because we already have the 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 yeah. ultimate the ultimate basically change in George is that is punching out Biff. Well, he, Biff is the big bad, you know. I think I mean? it should yeah. have already been. Sorry, to, I, I, I know I'm about to cut you off, Pete. I've been doing yeah. this the whole time. I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> okay, you're more than I, I know this I just, about I, you. I, I love this, this so much. <laughs> but but um, but you're totally correct. There, there should be no. I mean, the dude should walk up and ask for a dance, and George should just push him away immediately. There should be no more drama element related to this. He already took out the biggest bully in school. Some little mm-hmm. pipsqueak walking up and asking for a dance should not, in any way, alter George's confidence in this situation. It, it, it doesn't seem to fit in the movie at all for me now, watching as an adult. Um, it, it's a little, little weirdly placed, but the reason it's there is because we, the entire movie, we've been seeing Marty's family disappear little by little on the, you know, in the picture. So Marty's on stage, you know, because, you know, him and the Pinheads didn't make it to, you know, to their Battle of the Bands or whatever. And, um, so this was his chance to actually perform. You know, Jennifer's the one that gave him that confidence kind of early on. You know, Marty, you're, you're really good. Send this in. And so he gets his chance up on stage. And so, you know, it builds a lot of tension when he starts to disappear and his hand is starting to disappear and he's screwing up the music because it's, he's missing a hand. Nobody seems to be noticing that. But yeah, so you needed something to kind of go to, you know, it's the foil, right? So Marty's disappearing. So unless George does something, Marty's going to cease to exist. So it, it needed to happen. It is not something we needed. Do you wonder if if that scene could have worked, let's say, without this guy coming in here and basically That's cutting what I was in. about to say, yeah. If come like, back having the, same scene having the him. George kind of still being, you know, he's confident now, he beat up Biff, whatever, but still in that Elaine saying, aren't you, I mean, Lorraine saying, aren't you going to kiss me and have that be a thing where... You know, George is again. He he just wants to write his his not his you yeah. know his books, and it's he not just a wants sexy to like though, right. Like you know I, what I, I mean. Like that saying, could be a, a, a timing thing where he can't. George is still George, right? He still has to kind of get it get it within him to like actually move forward with this thing with Lorraine. And at the same at the same time, you have Marty over there losing a hand, basically, you know, disappearing <laughs> yeah. in, in front of everybody. I don't know, just just a thought because I felt like that was it. Just didn't seem to fit right, just because of 
again, Biff being Biff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm okay losing that scene too. I think them kissing would be enough to bring Marty back, so to speak. But right. one thing, one thing I wanted to mention about is is. Marvin, it's your cousin. Marvin <laughs> Barry. Yep. You know that new sound you're looking for? Look, guys, in 1958, Johnny B. Good came out. Chuck Berry released that. So I absolutely love the callback to this three years, two and a half, three years before that single was actually recorded that Michael J. Fox is playing it on stage. And we just get that callback, you know, this sound that they're not ready for yet. I mean, Chuck Berry, baby. I know you. I know you guys are big music guys too. But the late fifties, early sixties, music did change. You know, and people started hearing things very differently. Elvis Presley blew up. I mean, there's a lot of things that were on the landscape. That's a that's a that's a lead into our top five Elvis Presley songs that are going to be happening. That's right, brother. That's coming up. You guys don't know this about me, but I'm a pretty big Elvis Presley fan too. That's actually an episode I've wanted to do on Music in My Brain at some point. Oh, you should come on. You should come on with us, brother. We're going to do top five Elvis songs. Oh, you guys haven't done it yet. No, we haven't no? recorded yet. We're it's. it's we'll, we're, we'll talk about this offline for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No, oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, the big moment happens. Um, you know, he gets out of the zoot suit, which I still didn't know what that was until the Google machine was invented. <laughs> you know, I guess I, I didn't know anybody that knew what that was. So and and also I didn't know it was zoot suit. I thought it was suit suit. <laughs> I was like, what's a suit suit? <laughs> no subtitles, man. What are you gonna do? Oh man. Um, but talk about build up, right? So we just had this this sequence. Yeah, George finally builds the confidence to to kiss Lorraine, and we have this fun Johnny B. Good. Marty's rocking the shit out of that 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 stage, and um, I think it, it gets us kind of in a, like a like a happy mood just to come back and have everything go to shit. Basically, shit hits the fan. The, uh, the 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 storm is starting to come, and then you got the the, the wiring on the clock tower comes down, and, and and all of that. I think this sequence here is just one of those like really high tension moments. One of the most tension filled scenes of any movie ever made. Yeah, like I literally, agree. I don't think any other movie can stack up to this in terms of how it builds the rest of the movie. It gives you a sign of relief. After George and Lorraine kiss and you think, oh, everything's good. Now all Marty's got to do is go back and get in the time machine and go back to 1985 and everything is happy-go-lucky. And it's not that. He goes back and faces even more challenges, actually more extreme challenges than just a high school bully and getting his parents to to, to kiss and, and, and reunite in the way that they originally did, if not stronger they have to they have to create magic and in, in, in causing this electricity to harness into the time machine in order for him to get back there. And we already knew earlier on the way that Doc explained it in definition alone that it was so difficult to do that it would take a miracle in order for it to occur. And then we see where Doc's at the top of the clock tower and, you know. <laughs> The extension cord doesn't it, – it, it, it disconnects. He has to go slide down and reconnect it. Um, for me, and this – I don't know about you guys, but for me as a fan, at least every time I watch it on a big screen, like on a theater screen or anything, every single time that Doc slides down and reconnects that cord and you see that bit of lightning hit and the time machine goes through, I cry. Yep. I literally get a tear to my eye. I did it the other night, and it's like I've seen this movie – Probably out of you know my top five favorites of all time, it's 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 in the hundred range, um, 
And I still cry every single time out of excitement for that scene because it's so amazing because you know what's going to happen after that. And then, you know, the rest is history, oh, yeah. as they say. Um, it gives me chills. Are you guys, am I the only one that gets really angry at the stupid branch? I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. The branch just happen to fall? <laughs> Absolutely. The fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, that sequence is so, is so much fun to watch just because of the adventure aspect of it. Because, you know, you're saying this is a, for all the movies, where it's a lighthearted, it's a it's i don't know it's just a very a joyful movie for me anyway and and that just creates a part of like you know an adv- like great adventure like uh peter and i just did one of my favorite movies from when i was a kid too goonies we just covered that not that long ago and it's kind of to me feels the same kind of sense of like in um adventure and and just i don't know just enjoyment it's a very climactic uh, final act for sure. And, and Justin had a great point where after the Enchantment of the Sea scene, you're kind of like chilling. And then you're like, whoa, wait a second. This is not going according to plan. And so many different like basic things happen that kind of throw them off course. And Doc is a hero, man. I mean, Doc, you know, sliding down the cable and like just all the shit that he had to go through to make that happen in 1955. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so working. He's like with a, he's an he action hero, with. man. He's an action hero. You know, yeah, dude. And, uh, one thing yeah. I want to say too. One <laughs> thing he I want to ziplining. S- I'm sorry, just throwing that. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe he did. Yeah. One thing I want to say too, real quick, Pete, is I love in the um, back and forth when they're co- when Marty's supposed to be coming from the dance to meet him. And one of my favorite things about this movie is when Doc is waiting on him and he keeps checking his watch. <laughs> and he's like, "Damn!" <laughs> and then he walks over and checks it again. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, damn. damn, damn. <laughs> you know, I love that. He's got a lot of watches, just like he's got a lot of clocks. So, you know, I don't think there's you know, a whole lot you know, of big clocks yet. It's yeah. funny you mentioned that scene where he says that, because uh, that's one of the ones where my wife was like basically verbatim, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. right. Down. Yeah. Again, she hasn't seen it in like 10 years. She's like the, on time. I'm like, on time, which I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Doc, yeah, I, I got your joke. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> I know Peter's um, here for me. I, 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 Doc, I understand is the MVP in that entire scene. He climbs oh, yeah. all the way up to the top. He sees what the, the two gargoyles or the, the lions up there, you know, <laughs> screams at that because he, he didn't expect to see those up there. But like, didn't you just, okay, never mind. <laughs> you know, you set all that up. That shouldn't have been a surprise, right? To see the two lions up there or what were they? The two statues, figurines up there at the top of the clock tower? They're, they're not gargoyles. gargoyles. They're, they're, they're gargoyles not like pure Batman, gargoyles. That's why I say gargoyles. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, it's lions, right? Or yeah, they're lions. Lion yeah. states. I don't know, but anyway, he reacts to that. Which they're, is they're like comical. they're like panthers of some kind. They're not, you know, they look like yeah. cat-like creatures. They cat-like. They're a feline. So, you know, the and then and then he he hangs the ledge breaks. Now he's hanging like Harry Lloyd on that clock in the very be- uh, beginning of the movie, and then uh, the cord falls down to his leg, <laughs> like rips, rips off everything. He's is literally his cuff, going right? wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yanks that and then it disconnects because of the tree or the tree gets in the way and snags right. that like yeah everything just goes yep. wrong but yeah shout out, shout out to doc man um now i don't know if any of you guys had the opportunity but i got to watch back to the future in concert did you guys do that no i got to see um when i met leah thompson for the first time it was at a live showing of the movie with a live orchestra, and Alan yes. Silvestri was actually overseeing right. the composition of the score. So it was a huge, like huge crowd outside, and Amazing, so we got dude. to watch. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, uh, so, uh, that's that's the same thing I watched. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Alvin Sil- Silvestri didn't go to all of them. So so there was another composer uh, that did it. But uh, you know, Alvin Silvestri actually composed new music for the live concert because there's points where there's no score, so he wanted something to be playing in the background. But that one, that's one of the scenes that actually I still have a video. I, I even put it on Facebook a few years back. Um, those that, that was a moment where a lot of people stood up and cheered. You know, once once the uh, the, the cable you know connected yeah, yeah. with the the hook and sends uh, Marty Dude, back. There, there's to the no future. other way to watch this movie, and I, I got to make this clear, than to see it with an audience every yeah. single year. Yes, I mean I, I do a lot of work with Alamo Drafthouse, and every year they'll show at least the original or the second film, and every single opportunity I get, I'll go and just watch the audience or watch the movie with the audience, and it it, it never fails. The audience always reacts to the same scenes the same way it's the and best. that one scene they always cheer it, it's always the most exciting moment ever there's these movies that are so special to everybody uh you mariana you mentioned the goonies that's another mm. movie that is on that list for so many so many people not my co-host for some reason he thinks it's the worst piece of shit <laughs> ever made it. i don't know yeah. what the, i don't know what to say about him i can't defend him in respect to that movie but with this it, it every single time People react the same way, no matter how many times they've seen the film. And I think that's what's so special about it, when you could rewatch it so many times and you still feel that same feeling of excitement, that, that same feeling of suspense and tension. Um, it, it, that, that, that just shows how magical the movie itself is. Yeah. So I yeah. think rebuilding is like re- building the emotion again. Like, again, I was going through the same, going through the motions again, even though, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't watched as much as you guys, but I've watched it m- many a times. And being that far from the last time I've seen it, since my kid was probably like, you know, 10 or whatever, it still brought back all those emotions, you know? And and I know we mentioned earlier, like, uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's like another movie that's kind of an iconic one like that. You know, there's a scene mm. where he's at the parade. Ferris Bueller's singing at the parade. That's like he's one singing, of those, like, yeah. emotional, you know what I mean? It's just what, every time I see that scene, it's the same, I get the same feeling. And I, watching Doc connect and, the timing had to, the timing had to be perfect, right? I mean, the, the DeLorean freaking died on on Marty and all that, and just getting it back up and getting it to eighty eight and hitting hitting at the right time and and getting it back to to nineteen eighty five, uh, yeah, it still brings back all those feelings. You know, yeah. it's it's so it's so cool. It's just so good that that just shows you the quality of a film where it can bring you back to the same spot you were probably to the first time you've seen it. You know? That's what I love about movies and music because it can take you to a time that, that you remember and, and you know, they're tied to so much memories. Mariano, you and I, again, we collaborated so much on music in my brain. Right now we're going through the 90s, each episode a different year from the 90s and we keep bringing up you know, um, uh, memories and stories of like what each song kind of reminds us of. And, uh, you know, let's talk about that sequence about like Marty, you know, um, trying to go back, uh, you know, 10 minutes early. And, you know, I, as I understand it, it was improvised by Michael J. Fox to, you know, hit his head on, on the steering wheel. But people often say like, well, you know, the time goes off and the car stalls. How, how does he even make it in time? And then obviously, how do they even know that the clock was going to strike exactly at 10.04 p- uh, p.m.? Which they said it, it would at exactly 10.04 p.m. I just feel because Marty's car stalled, he was trying to overcompensate for that by going even faster than what he probably should have. Yeah, I mean, it says right on the flyer, 10.04, mm-hmm. right here. Right. And, you know, but, but people are like, well, what what if it was like 10.04, 30 seconds, you know? Yeah, you know, 30 seconds, you know, you know, yeah. things like that, but... For it to strike exactly at 10.04 p.m., this is this is what I think, and I don't know if I've really heard this anywhere else, 
but I, I'm not a scientist, right? And I don't really know how electricity works. I don't know how much 1.21 gigawatts feels, and I know that Doc was wearing gloves when he felt that. But I feel that the lightning, you know, it, uh, it, the the clock tower, you know, harnessed that energy, that 1.21 gigawatts, so it acted as a conductor, and maybe it was still enough power even for 59 seconds of that 10:04 p.m. Also, that the, it would still it, work. It's a uh... It's called the fucking movie, and uh, <laughs> right. What are you doing? People Justin? that people that dig that deep. Again, I, I, I consider myself. I've been doing this for six or seven years now. I consider myself a podcast film critic. It's fine, but when you're gonna dig that deep and like, what if it was like a millisecond difference? Yeah. Like, sorry, dude, you're you're, yeah. you're digging way too di- deep into something that you're ruining your own enjoyment out of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Just no, that's just my answer it. to them. You know, no, like, I, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and yeah. I love you for doing that because there are people that do that with everything now. They they want to like literally combat everything, and they'll find every little thing wrong with. And I don't like doing that, even yeah. as a critic. Like, look at it within the viewpoint of when it was made and no one was thinking that when they wrote the script like that 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 people watching it because here's the thing and steven spielberg said this when he was making jaws and and this is the way that i think movies were made up until a certain point in time if i've got you for the entire movie if i've got you leading up until the last 15 20 minutes the last 15 20 minutes don't matter i can do whatever i want in those 15 20 minutes as long as it is within the the realm of the rules that I built within the rest of the movie, that my audience will believe it and they will be intimate with those themes and ideas. Hmm. So it will work no matter what I do. As long as it, it fits within the rest of that movie, as long as it's not too outlandish, the movie that I built, and that's what he learned with Jaws and that's why that movie worked. And I think a lot of movies built off from that. And that's why Back to the Future works. And I think, you know, within modern terms, modern audiences, especially our kids are like, but wait, what about this? What about that? And like, I'm like, just just watch the movie. Just yeah. enjoy the movie. Like, seriously, you can't you can't dissect a movie like Back to the Future like that. I mean, because it already deals with time travel, which no one knows about. And of right. course, the time travel aspect, we didn't even get into that, which that's a huge rules? rabbit hole. We don't I know mean, the rules because we haven't we done them yet as far yeah, as I know, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the, you can't even try to – I mean, you can now. And when I when I saw, you know, the Russos discuss Endgame and the time travel that, I, I got to see the movie with them and they discussed it. They brought up Back to the Future and they said they based all of their, you know, time travel rules around Back to the Future. So that just goes to show the influence this film has for generations and generations to come. So, yeah, but to your point, it's like just is a template for time travel and bullies. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> right. One hundred percent. Just enjoy it. I mean, it's a good time, guys. I mean, <laughs> Pete, yeah. you are you are a damn saint for coming up with that whole thing with the conductor and all that shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I would you never think about it, dude. <laughs> yeah, but like, let's just enjoy movies, guys. Like, it drives me crazy when critics or other podcasters or whatever will try to like not like something because it you know a certain scene wasn't believable or it forgot to do something and it's like okay was it a good time did you have a good time with the movies you know and i just feel like that gets lost sometimes and i really hate that especially with the classic like back to the future you know yeah i I think you know i mean justin that's actually a great uh, point that you made about the whole last 15 minutes because this is where like a lot of questions come up um you know marty gets back to 1985 and you see that the ledge is still broken that's great because early on when he was walking through Hill Valley 1985 Prime, 
the ledge was was there. It was intact because that's something that you know um, Doc would later on break. But he gets back to the house. His you know parents uh, have changed. Obviously, people question. Well, if Marty was such a nice name. Why was he the third kid or the third boy to be even named that? You know, and people are like, well, don't they recognize their own kid? But look, Marty was there for like a week. You know, they're not going to remember some guy when they were like 17 years old, 30 years ago, you know, that hooked him up in one week. They could, but I mean. Or they might just be like, oh, he looks like this guy. Suspension of disbelief. That's what, I mean, again, you're, you're, you're going into a movie called Back to the Future that deals with time travel. I mean, when you when you, you can't go that deep. I mean, I guess you can, but I would I would rather not. When you're dealing with such subject material as this, they're not going to remember that. Agreed, dude. I met people 20 years ago, and if I saw them right now, I mean, I wouldn't know it was the same person, bro. Gerald, <laughs> yeah. I, I met people two weeks ago. I don't remember their fucking name, dude. Yeah, yeah. I might I'm be like, oh, you look you. familiar, I'm just being but up I'm with the- you. I'm just you know, being might, honest with you. So. Yeah, I might think they look familiar, but I'm not yeah. going to be able to place like you know who they are exactly. So. Yeah, who are you? Plus, as a parent, <laughs> as a parent, you have your kid as a baby, and they start growing up. As they grow, how the hell are you going to remember this dude Marty from the '50s? Like, it <laughs> right. doesn't make sense because as interaction, everyday interaction with a child that grows up to be like 17 at this point, like it, it doesn't. It that's how the mind works. You know, you don't. You don't remember that. That wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Well, it makes that, sense that they didn't recognize him that, at that point. Then they're too busy playing fucking tennis and writing science fiction novels yeah. and being yeah, successful is. anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I have George no is too busy like like pinching, you know, like Elaine, uh, yeah, her her Lorraine's butt and stuff. You know, he's doing he's doing all kinds of other stuff. There's a lot going on here. George. There's a lot going on, but like also after the dance, Marty kind of forces them to remember that when they have a child that's eight years old, sets fire to the living room rug, go <laughs> easy on carpet. <laughs> Like, yeah, hey, just remember funny. that. So, so yeah, it was, that, that was kind of a weird okay. Thing. So that like, was we, a little self-serving. You know what? Throw the yeah. whole movie out the window. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Marty. What the hell? <laughs> oh man. So um, yeah. So end of the movie. Uh, we we get you know we we know how the movie ends. Uh, ha- happy uh, happy ending there. Now th- this is a question I think is is very valid, but and it's obviously up for inter- uh, interpretation. Um, w- do you guys think that his parents knew? Uh, right when you know we got the truck is that like a thank you you know for this like we 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 know what's going on they give kind of a knowing look before they walk off when jennifer shows up at the end Mm, i don't know i just i just take it in a very simple terms that they just have a better life now Mm -hmm. you know and they just have and sometimes that comes with better things yeah (laughs) do you know so it's like he's and he's the youngest marty's the youngest right yeah so it makes sense that at this point, like the oldest is successful doing some kind of, you know, whatever work he does, he wears a suit. So he's, you know, in the yeah. 80s. That's a lot of money right there. Uh, the daughter is doing stuff. I mean, so basically they're all successful. So for the for the youngest to get a truck or a vehicle, it tracks whether yeah. that's successful. You know what I mean? Oh, he's he's going to get the benefit yeah. of, of it, like the stuff that maybe the older ones didn't quite get, you know? What thing I didn't notice for years, like watching that movie, um, and, you know, it's just one of those YouTube videos that pointed it out. Oh, 25 things you didn't know about Back to the Future. But when Mario wakes up, you know, and then like sees, um, I'm forgetting his sister's name right now. I'm blanking. It's Dave and Linda, right? Linda, Linda. Yeah. So he sees them, faints, whatever. But when he's walking out of his room in his hand, he actually has like an envelope with his music that he's going to send in because Jennifer had convinced him to. 
you know, previously. Oh. So that was, that was a little nice touch there. Go back mm-hmm. in to see that. Um, yes, I, I think that's it. You guys got any last thoughts uh, about the movie? I mean, I just, again, want to echo what I said earlier and just thank you for having me on, man, because I, I absolutely love this movie and it was a blast to reminisce about it with everybody here. And I'm, I think I'm going to go, not tonight because it's late, but I think I'm going <laughs> to go rewatch it this week for sure yeah, because yeah. I love it, man. And I get something different from it every time, which is crazy because I've seen it like a hundred times. But thanks, Pete. And thanks, Mariano. Yeah, yeah, sure. it, it, it was a blast. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, Gerald, I mean, your your show is a top five list show. So, you know, you don't necessarily review movies at all. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and, and, you know, we've collaborated enough on other friends' um, podcasts and it, that keeps coming up. You know, you're a fan of Bachelor Feature. So I thought it'd be yeah. a great chance for you to come on. Um, so real Absolutely. quick, yeah, what we do is uh, we kind of look at some of the ratings here and see what you guys agree with. This this is actually kind of um, a li- little, little off here. IMDb has it, you know, and that's viewers' ratings. Uh, IMDb has it at 8.5 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it fresh at 96%. I'm a little surprised it's 96, hmm. but, you know, it is what it is. What do you guys think about those two scores? Mariano, let's start with you. Um, yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, I would I would go the 96, you know, 95 percentile. You know, I mean, there's what is 100% as far as, like, 10 out of 10 in a film, you know, I mean, this, this kind of hits a lot of it. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. This is it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, gra- I'm grading it on a, I'm grading it on a, like a, maybe there's no movie that's a 10. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a 9.8 okay. or whatever. Oh, gotcha. I don't know. Okay. Just, I don't know. It's just, it, it, this is pretty close to perfection. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, except for Einstein and the whole minute, you know, that just threw me <laughs> off with that, Peter. So I yeah, can't give it a whole friend. 10. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's so tight. It's like so much tighter than I than I rem- than I recall. I just remember being because I think of the emotions of it. I remember as a kid watching it, the emotions, you know. And then as you get older, you see maybe more critical with the filmmaking, you know, cinematography, acting, the chemistry between the actors, you know, the writing, comedy, all these things, and everything fits. And they they do so much of a great foundation to the film you know, and the callbacks pay it off in the end. Do you know what I mean? So overall, it's just a uh, fantastic film. Uh, Gerald, what about you? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, you know, uh, no mystery, but this <laughs> yeah. is, this is a 10 out of 10, a 100% movie for me, man. It's, it's absolutely flawless. It's perfect. Uh, we've obviously covered pretty much every facet of it tonight, but I mean, the performances, the direction, uh, the music, it's oh, just music. It, it, the little cameos sprinkled throughout. I mentioned Huey Lewis. I mean, it's just so many, so many little callbacks throughout the movie to the movie, but also to other things in pop culture. And you have a movie that is very reminiscent to the 1950s, but also to the 1980s, which you, you just don't get that, man. It was so unique and so inventive. And I mentioned this a couple different times, but I love how Back to the Future and just a handful of other 80s movies stand the test of time in terms of like their merit, like filmmaking merit. Like it's just, it's made with a higher quality and it it has a longer shelf life. You know, I can Mm -hmm. put on a lot of schlocky eighties movies that I absolutely love, but Mm. they're seen, they're seen as cheesy. They're seen as over the top. I mean that, which truthfully, that's what I love about them, but back to the top. Yeah. Hey, yep. over the yep. top. Yeah. There's a movie right there's, there. There's one. <laughs> <laughs> that one specifically. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the things about Back to the Future and like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and a movie called Dirty Dancing that I love that are just like a, a higher caliber, longer shelf life type movies that will just always be. It's all it's like I'm seeing it for the first time every time I watch it. That's how much I love it. So 
Uh, it's a 10 out of 10 easily for me, man. Nice. Justin? If my calculations are correct when this baby hits a 10 out of 10, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> and I mean, it, it always, it never fails. I've never watched this movie and been disappointed. It is one of the most perfect movies ever made. I mean, there's a reason why it's in the National Film Registry, ladies and gentlemen. It will always be held up as a comfort food flick. I always equate a lot of movies to this on our show, The Epic Film Guys. But it's more than the cinematic equivalent of fast food because there is substance. There are great written characters. There is amazing production design. There is amazing direction. The cinematography is amazing. Everything about this movie, including Ellen Silvestri's iconic score with one of the best iconic themes in the history of cinema, rounds out this movie to being so special to so many people. That's why, as Pete has said on numerous occasions, there's so many documentaries, there's so many huge fans. That's why there's film festivals where they show these movies and people come out year in and year out uh, with their DeLoreans. I mean, listen, ladies and gentlemen, the DeLorean as a car died many years ago. The company's back. DMC is back. And people are selling these cars again brand new because of this movie because people want this car. Um, for me, it's in my top five of all time, so there's no question there. I love this movie so much. I could go on forever and talk about how I met you know, the entire cast and, and have done this and done that. And I watch the movie on the big screen every year, and I'd love to boast because I'm very proud of those, those achievements. I really am as a fan. I never thought 10 years ago wearing the shirt that I'm wearing now you know, sitting in my shitty one-room apartment that I'd ever be able to do any of those things. Uh, but if you work hard and you do what you love in life, you're able to do that and you're able to accomplish that. And um, also talk with such amazing people as I have tonight talking about this movie with Pete and Mariano and, of course, my good buddy Gerald from Two Peas. Uh, just very thankful to be here and so appreciative that I was included in this conversation. So oh, thanks again. Yeah. Sure thing. Yeah, so, Pete, so basically, Pete, let me, yeah. Pete, can I just say real quick? Um, Justin reminded me I did top five comfort movies um, a couple months ago, <laughs> and I pulled up my list because I wanted to see what I named okay. number one. And guess yeah. what my number one was? Ooh. Dirty Dancing. Back to the Future was my number one comfort <laughs> nice. movie. Awesome. So yeah, I, I, I echo everything he said to me. I love this movie. But but Gerald yeah. did have hungry eyes for me though. So that's right. right. There you go. There's some hungry eyes. My, uh, my number two was Stand by Me, Pete. You'll like that too. I mean, that's a great movie, too, obviously. Hell yeah. Yeah, Justin, so basically, uh, in a sense, well, what you just said is, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Accomplish anything, that's yeah, right. Yeah. You, you certainly so, can, yeah. I, I totally know where you are um, uh, with the the whole boasting thing. I am doing that over at Shamelessly Plugin, Cobra Kai Companion, right? I mean, friends with the creators, I visit, I'm, me and my co-host and, and uh, one of our moderators, we're, we're the only fans who have ever visited the set. And then recently I did a live stream with freaking Ralph Macchio and Billy Zapka. You know, hard work pays off, man. I started from nowhere, started from nothing, from the bottom, 46 interviews, man. Um, mm. And uh, But anyway, yeah, I love this movie. I, I don't want anything touched, but I would love to see somebody take the, the, the actors as they are now, specifically Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson, and put them into their roles in 2015 in part two. That's all I want to see, you know, so that way they look the way they look now, um, at least when they did in 2015. I think that would be kind of fun. But um, yeah, perfect movie, 10 out of 10. You know, both of my boys love it. Uh, I, one of my maternity photos I took, you know, my son who's almost eight now, 
when he was still in that belly. One of our photos, I actually had a DeLorean toy, and I was using my wife's stomach as a road. You know, so I, I have that photo. I'll, I'll send it to you guys in, in Messenger. Oh man, that's but, so great. Um, yeah, I think that was. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was fate or what. But he ended up be, being a fan. He loves that franchise and the Karate Kid franchise too. So uh, he's definitely his father's son. Um, so yeah, Peter. Peter made a time, a time machine, yeah. out of a podcast. He I made did. It, yeah, you did. So that I could see that, you know. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the lone, I'll be the lone, the lone guy here sitting at ninety six to ninety eight percent. I'll be the lone guy. I mean, I'll, if look, if you're gonna make a time I'll, machine, I'll be the only guy who doesn't have a love affair with Biff that wants to go and like hang out and have like a dinner <laughs> date with him. I'll be the only one he here. Is the Biff. Thank you. Biff, yeah. Biff is I'll the be grounded over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're gonna make a time machine out of a podcast, you might as well do it with some style. And I don't know anyone else with more style in the podcasting world than Pete. Oh man, seriously. That's why when I re I reached out to you recently. I think even before this, and you may have forgot because because you're such a big deal. And yeah, I was like, oh. we got to do something again soon because yeah. I just love talking to you, man. I, I don't, I don't do many guest spots. I mean, we, we do the epic film guys every single week, but I don't, you know, I do my own thing. You know, I'm to talk about movies once a week, and I'm like, I'm good with that. But when it's when it's special people talking about amazing things, I, I just love to take my time to do that. So again, oh, thank that. you so so much for inviting me. Well, thanks for thanks for being here, you guys, because this is uh, not just iconic film in general. You know, I mean, it's it's it is. It's I was trying to tell my son how, how what kind of a big deal Back to the Future is. Yeah. I mean, he loves it, right? I mean, right now he was watching two, <laughs> like, you know, as we're recording here. He probably been maybe he's on three now. I don't know, but um, <laughs> it, and and it's hard to put into words how, what a big phenomenon you know it was. And and the way I think of it is like you know, E.T. was a big deal, and I was like a little kid when E.T. came out, and I went to the theater and saw it, and it was a huge deal, like a big deal like Star Wars or, you know, uh, New Hope was, you know what I mean? Like, uh, this is like, few movies do this, right? And and again, to to watch it now in 2020 and and see it and still feel the joy and 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 see it as like a great fi piece of filmmaking, um, you know, that you guys joining us here is great along with the fact that Peter, this is Peter's film, you know, this is Peter's like it, you know, this is it. This is like the, the Holy grail of, of films, you know, and for this podcast itself too. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for Peter, even though I shouldn't be, cause he can speak for himself. Uh, basically this is like a, this is a big deal, you know, and to be, and to do a back to the future, like on his 35th anniversary, uh, you, you can't, you know, it's felt like just the two of us wouldn't be enough, you know, and to have, fans like real fans of this of this movie just took it over the top if you will hell yeah brother yeah. so so glad to have been a part of it man yeah you know i i've I listened to so many different podcasts and i listen anytime i see a back to the future episode boom i'm i'm listening to it and i kind of judge people on their knowledge <laughs> you know based on their reviews so um obviously you know we 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 all know at least two other guys between you know, uh, Justin and and um, Gerald, we we know two other big fans too, and uh, I, I wish I could have had everybody, but that would have been a bitch to edit, right? We we all know <laughs> that. So um, that would have been yeah. a four hour episode. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's already Maybe a bitch to edit with me on it. With me on it, it's already a bitch to edit as it is. So I should be paying you to have me on here. So I think, that, yeah. I think Skype was trying to give us a hint. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> but no. Yeah, I, I can't thank you guys enough. You know, uh, this was a lot of fun. So, um, Gerald, starting with you, why don't you, um, you know, talk about your show, where people are going to find it, and an upcoming episode of yours. 
Yeah, man, sure. Uh, actually, guess what? This week, uh, Peter's going to be on my show. So me and Pete will be doing our top five music movies, which comes out this week. And uh, we just do a fun top five show. So I have rotating guests, right? So every week I have a new guest host and we count down something in the world of movies, music, TV, or pop culture. Justin and Pete have both been on quite a few times. Mariano, you got to make your way over there, man. We'll come up with a topic yeah. for you. Let me but know, yeah, buddy. We- Absolutely, man. Yeah, but we just have a good time and we just do a countdown show and we kind of dive deep into our picks and, uh, you know, just kind of discuss whatever the topic may be. The easiest thing to do to follow us, guys, is just follow us on Twitter. It's at two peas on a pod and that's TWO spelled out. We're also on Facebook and our podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts. So Pete, Mariano, thanks again for having me, man. I love Back to the Future and I love you guys. Oh, appreciate it, man. Thank love you. you back. Uh, Mariano, do you want to guess what one of my movies might be on that list? <laughs> For music, oh yeah. god! Movie, movie, music, uh, music, music, movies. Yeah, no, not musicals, music. right? We're not talking musicals. about not, not music movies right. about music. Like the, yeah. Oh, oh, I can't one, think one right of now. our favorite episodes. Oh, which? Oh god! The one that brought you two together, right? Yeah, you yeah, said yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Which one brought us together? Which Richie. one? <laughs> oh. Ah, La Bamba, yes. Yeah, Why man. am I completely blanking out? This is ridiculous. All right. I've got friends that, that that movie is legit religious to them, where like that's their favorite thing in the entire world. It was pretty close for us. Like we yeah. and we learned that doing the review together. I love it. <laughs> right. I mean I have I have nothing against it at all. I'm a huge Richie Valens fan, as small as his career was during the time, but I mean, you literally cannot ever get a better performance out of Lou Diamond Phillips than that movie. There's no way. If you guys haven't heard it, man, you, you guys got to check out our, our episode. Yep. Um, I was really proud of that because, Mariano, you remember, like, I did so much research. I was watching all these documentaries mm-hmm. and I was reading articles from 1987 when the movie released and how Donna was actually, you know, like, uh, his family didn't know about Donna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and all these things. And then we found out uh, S.I. Morales was supposed to uh, audition for Richie and right. Lou Diamond Films was supposed to be Bob. And then they flip-flopped. Dude, oh, that oh, role, that yeah. brother, the brother Bob. We talked about this oh, on our episode, Pete, but that was just uh, <laughs> acting, just powerhouse. <laughs> so man. good. Uh, Peter did all that research, and uh, I rolled out of bed just like Marty McFly, and just like, all right, let's record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dude, dude, there, there are T-shirts with Bob on them, with just his fucking face, and people wear them just because of how cool Bob is in that movie. Yeah, Ooh. no, he killed it. Uh, yeah, fucking Go Bob. Back and watch it, guys. Bobby, I, I love Bob, that movie. No, Bob that's piece hey, of shit. <laughs> The funny thing about that is when we recorded that, we I don't think either one of us knew what we were going to... Obviously, we don't. We never really talk about like the movie beforehand. You know, We just get on and we're like, okay. And, you That's know, the best way to do it. There's so, no way... So, yeah, it's like, sure. so it's a matter of like, oh, shit, you liked it? Oh, you like... Oh, okay, oh, I guess let's talk. Let's talk about this movie that we really enjoyed, you know? And, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips and Esa Morales, who... Like he's a hell of an actor, man. Like he's... Yeah, You know, lately good. he's been coming up. I, know, I don't know if everybody watched the first season of... Uh, uh, of um the boys or well no he no, was no. on uh, uh oh shoot another show ozark he was, he was the first o- season ozark. of ozark yeah, 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 yeah he yeah. he freaking was he was really good in that so anyway uh little bob little bob love even though yeah, he's a piece well, of shit bob he's all love man it's one of our favorite episodes uh justin you you mentioned the epic film guys uh where can they find you either upcoming episode or an episode they can start off with yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard the name yet, you will hear it. We are the movie podcast your mother fucking warned you about. We are not to be reckoned with. You're you're going to dive in deep and heavy, and you're probably going to walk out with some white, liquidy substance oozing okay. off of you when you, wow. when you leave. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 
eh, we're fun, but uh, we get we get pretty hardcore. But um, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the 25th anniversary of Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever, the neon nipple clad Batman sequel. And unfortunately, just last week, Joel Schumacher passed away. So um, just got to throw out some what some the love hell? there. I missed this. Yeah, we, this we did a huge. We did a huge episode on that, and then he okay. passed away the week after, and it's mm. our biggest episode we've had probably since COVID hit. So, so many people are actually interested in a movie that most fans love to hate on. So, if you have not listened to that episode, please head to EpicFilmGuys.com, check that out. And we are doing an ongoing hashtag canon quarantine series where we've been talking about canon films. That's right. That that film company from the 1980s canon that made all kinds of schlock movies we've just been reviewing them and letting our fans pick them so if you're interested in checking that out and you want to be a fan of the show like our page at facebook.com slash epic film guys and join our fan group you can help choose what movies we're reviewing every single week because until new movies hit theaters we're going to keep reviewing canon movies but next (laughs) week we are going to be doing an in-depth retrospective 25th anniversary episode on I am the law Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd so we have that next week yeah baby okay okay I might have to rewatch that one I I do like the remake with uh, Carl Urban that's a pretty good one too even though it's kind of a rip off of uh, Raid Redemption but um, it is it is we we like both but I you know not gonna lie I, I I hey it's Stallone it's yeah. Stallone. Yeah. So I like that one better. Oh, sure. Just saying. No, just I, saying. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> um, man, that Joe Schumacher news is a bit of a downer. I did not see that, so I completely He was 80. It. He, uh, he he battled uh, cancer. cancer for yeah. about a year yeah. and everything. Man. So he lives a good life. He made plenty of amazing films, including some, some hardcore classics, including The Lost Boys. I mean, um, he had a great career. So there's nothing yeah. to really be sad about, but we did lose a great filmmaker. So, a time to kill, one of my favorites too. Yeah, time to I, kill, I, I've reviewed down. that. I've reviewed yeah. um, Lost Boys, so yeah, I've definitely d- done some um, Joe Schumacher movies. So yeah, um, look through the feed. I, I feel bad like trying to pimp something out just having found out the news. So thank you guys for bringing those two movies up. Um, oh, don't well, feel bad. I mean, we're, we're we're all just celebrating the legacy of his yeah. movies. So it, just like people that. listening to stuff, us talking about them and enjoying them, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say real quick. I mean, I, I listened to the Batman Forever episode that the Epic Film guys did, and it is a blast. I mean, I just love the positive energy that you guys gave to that movie, Justin, because it does get such visceral hate for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a comic book brought to life. I mean, that's what they hired him to do that's what the movie studio wanted so that's what he gave them and it's a fun time man and i'm glad that you guys gave it the love that i feel like it deserves i just wanted to say that appreciate the kind words man that movie was hot when it came out nobody said it was a bad movie but i'm saying (laughs) if you look online bro there's so many haters now but what you just said it's exactly what i said in the opening of my my part of the review is that when that movie came out no one was bitching or complaining everyone was like you gotta see the new batman movie (laughs) jim carrey the riddler it's colorful seal everything all i've been listening to Oh man! You know this whole summer is 1995 playlist for real. You know that's all I've been doing. So I mean, but no, it, you, you are correct, and and that's what we like to do. I mean, we obviously are movie critics, and we we go in deep and we find things that don't work for us that do work for us. But we we try to celebrate, especially a movie that's special to us. Um, and Batman Forever was a big hit. It was one of the biggest movies of the year that year. Um, so again, I know a lot of your fans will probably enjoy that episode. 
they like nostalgia if they're listening to your shit. So oh, sure. check Absolutely. that out. Check <laughs> yeah. that out. All right, Mariano, where can people find you if they want to um, maybe debate uh, the likable Biff? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to discuss how much you love Biff and for me to retort with how much you're wrong, uh, no, I'll explain. <laughs> Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Papa Elefante, that's at P-A-P-A-E-L-E-F-A-N-T-E. And um, if it weren't for Biff, I don't think we'd have half as good as bullies afterwards in film. Yeah. So there's that. I'll leave you that yeah. with that nugget there. And, and also <laughs> the time travel movies. I mean, obviously this episode oh, is going I mean, really... Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, time travel. Like, I mean, as far as film, film, filming time travel, whether in TV or on in the movies, like... I, I, it's hard to go against Back to the Future with any other. I mean, I guess maybe that would be like a whole other other thing of saying like, which would be the best like time travel films, you know? Like it's it's there's hard. So many. There's it's so, so many. There's so many, and also it can get convoluted just because of the how 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 troublesome that kind of that is. You know, writing time travel is probably one of the wor- one of the toughest things to do. And Back to the Future did it like really seamlessly. You know, it was flawless. So yeah, yeah. even though I got ninety eight percent from me. <laughs> it's an upcoming episode for my show. I, oh, I'm, it is. I, I should leave Back to the Future out, though. That's not fair. I mean, this is yeah. the time travel movie. You know what I mean? You, so. you I, mean, no, I guess no. it could be like a like a time travel film outside of Back to the Future because it is. It's yeah, hard because I mean, it's like, come on, dude. Yeah. The the one thing that co- that happens in any kind of time travel, like when when anybody touches on it, is there the rules that are set up that they set up. There's always some kind of like trip, something that trips them up at some point because it's hard to get to get back to that. I don't know. It's just. It's difficult. I mean, to get until back until one day when we actually figure out time travel, you know, because it's going to happen, then we'll know. We'll be able to go back and say mm. you were wrong. No, I mean that's what people like to do now. Yeah. But I mean, oh, yeah. Gerald, you can't do that episode without it. I'm gonna I go. Know. I'm gonna it's go. Gonna be on uh, I'm gonna go stand on my toilet and see if I can fall and knock my head and see if I can come up <laughs> with something for front. you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here be you go. Careful. Watch out for the porcelain. Yeah. One of my best friends used to have that as his voicemail. And every single time I'd call him, he'd he'd send me the voice. I'd I'd know he was wasted at the bar when he'd send me the voice. And it was it was the clip he recorded it from the movie. <laughs> uh, Gerald, you you haven't researched for that episode yet, have you? No, it's not coming up for a while. Okay, but, uh, it's on the agenda. Since, since it's coming up and you got some time, um, there's a movie I would like to uh, uh, suggest you checking out if you have not yet seen it. Um, an underseen. I don't know if it's an indie film. I feel like it is, but uh, Project Almanac. Oh, I have not seen that, no. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Justin, are you familiar? I've heard of it, yeah, but I've never seen it, though. Yeah, a kid uh, stumbles upon his dad's um, yeah. blueprints to build basically something that will allow him to travel back in time. And there's things that give you chills, and I feel like it's heavily inspired by some of the rules from Back to the Future. You know, okay. like seeing a I'll picture of someone who looks like himself. You know, like, wait, that can't be me. You know, things like that. It's, it's I know Looper will be on your list, Gerald. I know you'll talk about Looper. but Yeah, yeah. yeah Looper's good. But yeah, Project Almanac, I feel that's really underseen and underrated. Um, I, I bought it for like two bucks on a, like a Black Friday. I was like, man, this is pretty good. Well, how come nobody's what about, about What this about movie? the original time machine? See, I, I, this, this just shows how much I get out. I'm, I'm talking to these awesome rad people here and I'm getting all excited. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah, I'm hanging out all with you guys awesome people. Go watch Project Almanac. There you go. Yeah, I gotta um, check it out still because I know you brought it up with me, Peter. And I'm like, I yeah. really want to check it out, and I mean, so I, I, I gotta. Kind of want to watch I, it. I, I almost don't have an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, just just to kind of tease an upcoming episode, you know, uh, for those that do listen to this podcast, we we like to do anniversaries. A big one that is coming up, Ghost. Nice. Ghost is uh, t- uh, coming up. So what is that? Twenty five years. 
Yeah, uh, no, there, right? it was 1990. It's more than that, right? Thirty years. It was nineteen ninety. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, so I can't math right now. Thirty That's years okay. old. Ghost is turning thirty years old. Yeah, so we'll we'll be re- revisiting that um, uh, on the next episode. Uh, but Swayze. you can, yes, God, I that, love that. Swayze. I, Demi Moore. You Moore should have seen the there. shirt I had on earlier. It was it said "Crazy for Swayze" and it's got Patrick Swayze's shirt on. I changed it for this just for you, but mm-hmm. I always rock the Swayze just to piss off Nick. I like it. Uh, Swayze is actually the name of uh, or the middle name of a character from Cobra Kai. So there you go. It all goes back to that too. Um, anyway, you can find you can find us on Podsta- uh, at Podstalgic on Instagram and Twitter. So thanks again to my wonderful guests. Love you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for we got to do this again for sure. Uh, we'll see you guys in the future. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.